a preview of the Vintage Championship, and our first ever Five Scenarios segment on Episode 5 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome to Episode 5 of So Many Insane Plays. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. Hey, folks. This is a meaty episode. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to preview the Vintage Championship at Gen Con this weekend. Woohoo! All right. And we're going to have the first of what will be a recurring segment we call Five Scenarios, where we take five real-world in-game scenarios that involve pivotal decision points in the game and analyze each of the possible lines of play. We're excited to dig into this kind of detailed in-game decision analysis, and many of you might remember this kind of analysis from a lot of Steve's articles. This will be something that we haven't done before, but we're, in, we're excited to try, particularly because we think it's well-suited to this format. Absolutely. Our discussion, we can come up with lots of different... We can play off of each other and come up with lots of different ideas and answers to these scenarios. In an article, you can break down an entire game in detail, but in a podcast, in a conversation, it's hard to do that. So instead, we're going to have a focused discussion around discrete scenarios, and hopefully there'll be some disagreements some, <laughs> some, some, uh, that will generate interesting analysis and conversation. I already know one that I disagree with you on. <laughs> okay. I'm looking forward to that. So, and we want to hear your feedback, too. So if you yeah. disagree with our conclusions or one of our positions or the other, just reach out to us. You can respond to us via Twitter at ManyInsanePlays or email at SoManyInsanePlaysPodcast at gmail.com. Email us. First up, Steve, though, let's start with some news. So we've got some recent tournament results that you want to cover in detail. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on around the Eternal World. All right. We've got um, some recent results from Star City Games. We've got some news, yeah. Um, so many of you may have, uh, well, some of you have asked us to talk about Legacy. and That's right. So we are going to oblige you with this segment every every week. or um, And we're going to talk about some recent term results and legacy results in particular, it's really notable, don't you think, Kevin, that there were three hive minds in the last Star City Games Top 8? That deck was the topic of much conversation after its tournament winning performance a couple weeks back, but never has it put that many into a single Top 8. That was incredible. Yeah, this deck has really taken off, and it's it's really fun. I mean, it's, it looks... It's fun, it's interesting, it provokes a lot of discussion amongst high-level players about how to play it and how to play against it. It's great. Right. I mean, one of the, the big questions is how do you beat it? Because right. it's obviously going to be heavily played. How do you beat it? Right. Everyone looks at all the zero casting cost win conditions and <laughs> says immediately Chalice of the Void, and everyone is wrong about that because that does not actually win because of the way the timing and the triggered abilities happen. Explain. Well, a lot of people see zero casting cost win conditions in the pacts and think Chalice of the Void just counters those. The problem it does. is. Yeah, the problem is it does, but unfortunately, Hive Mind gives you a copy that isn't countered, and so you yes. get the worst of all possible worlds with that scenario. <laughs> it has a storm for your opponent. Exactly. Your opponent's copy does get countered, and yours doesn't, and you lose the game, and they don't even have anything to worry about. Very so you have to attack that deck by trying to beat its resources. It is still trying to resolve a six-casting cost it's, card. its mana base is so stable. I mean, it's got basic lands, except for the basically the, the two-mana accelerants. Right, but if it never plays one of its non-basic lands, you're yes. still talking about about a maybe a turn two Grim Monolith going into a turn three Hive Mind if you're lucky. 
and that's still something you can attack. You can fight the Grim Monoliths. You can fight the hive mind itself with hand disruption. It does not come so out which that is it? fast. Is it you attack the mana base, or you attack the, the limited number of key spells? I think that that entirely depends on which archetype you're playing yourself. If you're playing a zoo deck, for example, you're going to have much better luck, I think, attacking their mana base. What about just splashing blue and playing cards like Meddling Mage? Um, certainly possible. In fact, one of the very top was it the first or second place deck was a. Uh, zoo deck that also had blue for Jace and right, mental so missteps we've, we've and stuff. We've now seen stuff. zoo reemerge, but only with blue. This right. is our whole point about how dominant blue is in Legacy. No kidding. That but, was a that was a fantastic tie into our recent episode. But to answer your question, I think there it's Legacy. You have myriad options. There's there's yeah. lots of different ways to attack that deck. I agree. Well, I, I think there are a number of things that are interesting about this deck. First, Grim Monolith un, unbanned for what two years now? Yeah, and finally sees finds a nice little home. Right. Which Aside goes, from the workshop decks, <laughs> which I think goes to to show you, you know, I think this goes to our second podcast, where or was our first podcast we were talking about Lotus Veil vale right. and Scorch Ruin and the unintended consequences. The unintended consequences. What happens is in a card pool large enough, you have unintended interactions mm-hmm. that produce very powerful synergies. This being Hive Mind and Packs. I mean, I'm. Virtually certain that the designers of Hive Mind did not uh, design it to for the purpose of <laughs> comboing pe- with packs. And in fact, it was probably designed not only without that purpose in mind, but without the anticipated interaction at all. Right. And so, what's interesting is that you know you over the accumulated year uh, years of printings, you have interactions that produce powerful outcomes because they're highly synergistic, and the mana is often the key things that keep these things from being viable. Hive, the thing that keeps Hivemind from being viable is that it costs six mana, right? Right. And so when you have... The mana base from this deck is very interesting because the synergy of the two mana-producing lands, the Ancient Tomb and the Cities, mm-hmm. plus the Grim Monolith, is something that had, until this deck, really been reserved for artifact-based decks. Right. The Mud deck was based on that synergy, basically, and, right. and you used it very well. But this deck just takes uh, one colored mana, six-casting cost spell... And takes that inter- interaction to its extreme. Another thing I like about this deck, this is the second notable thing, is it has two combos. Yeah. So it's got the hive mind, but this, the, the list that I'm performing has a show and tell combo. Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things that gets to your point about how you fight that deck because it is, quote unquote, easy to turn off either one of those combos, but, but it's difficult. difficult to fight both of them. And that's the same thing we see in Vintage. It's like, well, you can stop Jace, but can you stop Tinker? Right. You can stop Yawgmoth's will, but can you stop Tinker? Can you stop Time Vault and Tinker? Right. And, and the Blightsteel. Right. Can you stop a creature that's an artifact but indestructible versus <laughs> a one or a two casting cost artifact that comes down very fast? It's it's very similar to the Vintage scenarios. In, this deck also uses um, Intuition as another engine, but I think the most important thing is that it has four Brainstorm and four Ponder. In fact, this goes to what we said, again, a couple podcasts ago, which is that Brainstorm is really a glue that holds these things together. It yep. gives you... I mean, and that's no more evident in this deck, where we have so much garbage, so many cards that don't do anything unless you have the combo or are assembling the combo. Absolutely. This deck is made possible by those one-casting costs cantrips. I, I, have no, I, I expect this deck will continue to see a lot of play, but what is the best solution to it? I would say Angel's Grace is probably the top of the list, near the top. Angel's Grace definitely is something they can't hive mind easily through. They can get <laughs> hive mind in play and put packs on the stack, and if you have Angel's Grace, they simply have no way in their current forms to fight it. But the challenge is, of course, what about show and tell? Angel's Grace yeah. is pretty poor at stopping you from losing exactly. to Emrakul. You can cast it and live for a turn, but you will have no permanence. The same is also <laughs> true of... Uh... Thumbdial, which has been bandied about as another possible solution. Right, and there were some people playing it in their decks, their sideboards at least, in that top eight. Wow. But 
it you're right it's it just simply doesn't help very much against Emrakul. so it that deck is well designed it's well conceived if they get an average draw meaning they have access to enough cards in mana it's difficult to have a, one single strategy that fights them. Let's talk about the deck that won the previous Star City before that, which was Star City game Cincinnati. Um, Manalist Dredge. Another, Pretty sweet. Another deck just rife with unintended consequences, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is cool because this is like a walk down memory lane for me. You know, when I was designing Dredge decks in Vintage in 2006, mm-hmm. when the, it was printed, you know, a lot of these cards were cards that I used. Like, for example, Nether Shadow was a card. We actually had Ash and Gold, Ghoul in there. That's right. Endless. But, you know, when Phantasmagorian was printed, I, I specifically identified that card in Vintage Set Review as possible Dredge card. It's, it just seemed to me it was just really good. You know, Gigapete had actually been used in the Vintage Dredge at one point. Um, I think that's all, of course, pre-Future Sight. Right. This, I mean, this deck is just really cool because it's it's the ma- completely manaless. Right, which we we see in in vintage dredge have seen in vintage dredge but never seen legacy before. Right, and it speaks to a whole host of issues. One of which was one that many people hit on, and you actually asked to some of our teammates as soon as this deck was yeah. posted about why no Gataxian probe. Right, Gataxian probe would, on the face of it, seem an unbelievably natural inclusion. Right, perfect I mean, and synergistic. Perfect and synergistic. It helps you. Do everything this deck wants to do, but I think the answer is is I understand why because you need to have at all times a max hand size. Yeah, you can't afford to put your spells on the stack and have them result in you going down to only six cards and not being able to discard and then or only seven cards, I should say. Well, I, I'm I tend to agree, agree with that, but it's possible that's not true. Correct, because it's also possible that just one or two dredges give you enough dredge in the graveyard that you can afford to miss a discard, but. It's, it's possible. It's, it's certainly yeah. possible. And maybe there's an odd scenario where you want probes in the board, for example, that your opponent right. boards out some of their interactivity for in the favor of permanence, and then your probes don't get countered as much. Very cool decks. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some vintage results. So our last podcast was a huge hit. We talked about <laughs> Slash Panther. And what do we see the following week? We see Slash Panther everywhere. It's, it's Paul, incredible. Paul called me, and he said, uh, I just played in the Baltimore tournament. I think they were like, about 30-some people, and Slash Panther won the tournament. We haven't gotten the results yet. And then the, um, was it, the, the Council Open? I'm not sure where that is. But there were three Slash Panther decks in the top eight. So that's a huge surge in Workshop Aggro decks in really just a week. And the, and the decks in the, uh, the, the Council Open were essentially the same ones that we had advocated for or suggested in our podcast with one minor difference. What is it? Precursor Golem, you and I... Main deck. Main deck. You and I both were in very firm agreement about Tanglewire being one of the sacrosanct cards for Workshop Aggro, and yet these top-performing decks are eschewing Tanglewire in favor of additional creatures. But otherwise they look identical to the list that we had. Mono Brown with mostly the same elements. The same thing, same mana base. Right. I mean, it's, it's really identical. Four Revoker. It speaks to two things in my mind. It speaks to the power of this archetype in general. It's just good enough to put so many decks in the top eights. But also, there's consolidation among the builds. These builds, we initially had two decks that we discussed that had put up recent performances that were vastly different. Right. And we postulated a third build that was also pretty different. And now we're starting to see consolidation around that that idea that we put forth. So the the last thing I want to mention is there's a deck called White Trash (laughs) in this tournament top eight. It got uh, fourth place. This is the best deck name 
ever because <laughs> it's perfectly descriptive. This deck is full of white trash. Uh-huh. So this, this is a uh, this is a hate bear kind of inspired deck with <laughs> basically every creature in it cuts your opponent off of some, one resource or another. Yeah, so the creatures are four Stoneforge Mystic, four Aven Mind Sensor, four Glow Rider, four Revoker, four Alien and Relic Warder, four Aether Sworn Candidates, and two Katakis. And don't forget the Batter Skull is a creature. <laughs> Touche. But, but what about why doesn't this have Leon and Arbiter? I mean, if he's got four Ghost Quarter, so the rest of the deck, just so the listeners, he's got one Caracas. This is yeah, this is a vintage deck. Uh-huh. They got top four, four, fourth place in the vintage tournament. One Caracas, nine planes, four Wasteland, four, four Ghost Quarter, one Strip Mine, the Batter Skull that Kevin mentioned, Sword of Fire and Ice, Soul Ring, Mana Crypt, uh, all five Moxen, Lotus, Lotus Petal, and four Chalice of the Void. And I will mention the sideboard. He has four Phyrexian Metamorph, <laughs> four Preacher, four Abolish, two Path to Exile, and one Jot and Grunt. What does Abolish do again, Kevin? Isn't that like a free... Dis- Abolish, yeah, it's a disenchant that you can discard a Plains, I believe. I don't have it in front of me. I think it's you discard a Plains. It might be a white card. I can't I remember which. I think it's a Plains. But you can play it for play it for free in that. And if you've got a, an opening hand with this deck that has... I don't know, one Plains and one Wasteland, pretty much every other Plains you draw is pretty expendable. Right. <laughs> I mean, to a point, of course, you do have Relic Warders that need two white, but I imagine he cast a fair amount of pitch cast abolishes when I he's would, I would in. hope so, for yeah. his sake. But why not, why not Relic War? I mean, um, Lean and Arbiter, it would seem like, I mean, a, a potentially good addition here. Like, you'd cut the fourth Canonist, you yeah. know, and... I'm with you. I imagine that... He's in the fetch lands. He was, he's not hurt at all. I imagine that an early version of this deck almost certainly had Arbiters in. Or it could just be misbuilt. It could be misbuilt. I'm going to give this individual, uh, what's his name, Matt Gottschall, I'm going to give him the credit, the benefit of the doubt and assume that he started with Arbiters at one point and through testing and tweaking, maybe they came out. I would say, I'm with you, I would start with Arbiters in the Aven Mind Sensor spot. He's got four Ghost Quarter. I mean, I think Mind Sensor is fine too. It's good. Mind Sensor is fine, but it seems like you want the cheaper model one. Light deck. I, I mean, know. you need efficiency. I know this you don't have deck. a lot of ways to improve your draws. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing that's interesting to me though is that Chalice of the Void. Going back to our topics about Workshop Aggro, yeah. this deck has all of one card that costs one mana. Soul Ring. Right. It, so this deck is thing. definitely going to be playing Chalice at one all Absolutely, the time. But it doesn't have Aether Vial. Like if you don't run Aether Vial. Yeah. It, he doesn't. He has two Kataki main deck. You would think that a deck like this would have Aether Vial. I mean, if you don't have one, one, one drops, why not? Yeah. Well, I agree. You can play your ter- Aether Vial at one on turn one and Chalice for one on turn two. That would probably be. Wouldn't be Aether a very Vial be play. better? I mean, honestly, wouldn't Aether Vial be better than Soul Ring? Maybe. Yeah. Than some of these Moxins some of the time. You know. Yeah. I mean, most of the time. Yeah. I mean, if you get, I suppose you turn one Aether Vial, is turn three bear. Whereas with a Mox, you can actually get, like, turn 3, and even Mind Sensor. Maybe that's why he runs that instead of Arbiter. Is Arbiter cost white-white or white-one? It's white-one. But white-white, he, he, it seems like, might be pretty difficult for this deck to get. Occasionally, and, sure. I mean, he's got nine planes, no fetch lands. So he's got 12 sources of white. He's got 12 sources of white and he's four Relic Warders, which, by the way, I think is a phenomenal card. But <laughs> That's true. But on the flip side, Relic Warder doesn't always want to come down on turn two. And that's why I would play Vile. Right. That's true. I mean, that's the reason and to play Vile. if you're just cutting off Moxin, you do have Chalice, which does that, and you do have Revoker, which does that, and Kataki, which does that. So there's lots so you, of overra- it's overlap. It's you say that Chalice should be coming out for one all the time. I, I don't... I mean, Chalice for zero is still the default play. It is, but what if you are... What if you also have 
Kataki in your opening hand, for example. What if you have uh, um, a Kataki in your opening hand? Maybe a mind sensor or arbiter in your opening hand. Do you want to be hitting one when they you can stop their they'll stop their vamp and mysticals and things like that anyway? Uh, I see your point, but I'm when I think about cutting off ones, I'm thinking of a, a lot of preordains and brainstorms too. You're not wrong. There are plenty of Mirage Tutors which you effectively neuter with your Mind Sensor. But there's only four Mind Sensors. There's you, nothing wrong with cutting off a bunch of one drops. You played Mystic before. What, why, do you, why do you think he has Sword of Fire and Ice as the second equipment instead of, I don't know? I would assume that's a reaction to Jace. Isn't Jit just Jit better? Okay. I would assume that Sword of Fire and Ice is an allusion to Jace. And also, perhaps in his metagame, the protection from red is better because of Slash Panther. Well, I think this deck is really intriguing. I think it points to possibilities in Vintage. Um, Glow Rider is really cool to see. That's a card we haven't seen. <laughs> we talked about that in our that, Utility Creatures that conversation. Makes, that card definitely explains the full Moxin instead of Vile. I mean, that's a card you need to accelerate now as quickly as possible. Yeah, we mentioned it last week. Right. Um, but, you know, this also points to possibilities for multicolor decks that look like this. But kudos to Matt Gottschall for a really cool deck and an even cooler deck name. Um, so today we're going to be talking I'm really excited, it's awesome Vintage Champs is this week Um, we're about to preview the Vintage Championship um, and the basis for that is going to be the second quarter metagame report, which I've just finished compiling and um, you know, so corporate America every time this year starts you know (laughs) Doing their financial reporting. Yeah, they do their financial reporting. I don't know. I saw a news report today that Apple has more cash on hand than the U.S. government, which is pretty. I saw that too. Pretty funny. It's incredible. <laughs> um, but uh, what's interesting is that um, you know I started doing this in, in a quarterly fashion, and Matt Elias has con- continued it, and I'm picking up the reins again. My report is like 20-some pages. I think it's 30 pages. <laughs> it's very long. <laughs> One of the things that I've done, though, is I've tried to move towards more like an essay narrative. So in my set reviews, I tried, I, th- I think that narrative is really powerful. You know, So it's not just what is an individual card doing, but what is the set doing? What is the function of the set in the format? What sort of strategic and tactical shifts are the sets going to cause for players? And how does it reshape the metagame? And so I've tried to do that here, and actually it's being launched, uh, I believe, as soon as this podcast goes live, or if not shortly thereafter, on eternalcentral.com, so you'll be able to get it for four ninety nine. I think is what, what they're selling it for. And I also have a legacy checklist. So I, in my set reviews, I've done these checklists before. You've seen them, Kevin? Oh, yeah. And the checklists are really useful because, you know, when I do these set reviews, I create these checklists, and the checklist is basically a list of every card that's played in the format and based on tournament results. And I have a, a designation, a star designation, that tells you that a card is basically... So a card that has makes makes a, a top eight gets into the list, like in the last 12 months. Right. Makes the, but a card that appears in multiple archetypes gets a star because it's really important. It's a commonly played card. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finally, because I haven't been doing legacy, uh, legacy set reviews, I've created a legacy check, checklist... And a lot of people on Quiet Speculation really like the Vintage Set Review checklist in particular because it's useful for collectors who are trying to collect, you know, certain... It's useful for dealers who are trying to identify the cards they'll need to sell to the the certain format players. It's useful to players who need to accumulate the relevant cards. So I've got that also going up um, on eternalcentral.com, and it'll have... Basically, just take the checklist at Gen Con and begin dealing and trading. Mm -hmm. You got it, so... 
and you have a pretty darn good track record, in my experience, of what really does show up. <laughs> yeah. So in the like case of the Legacy checklist, I've basically just gone through this year's Star City Games Top Six uh, Legacy Open sixteen Top mm-hmm. sixteen, and every single card that appears in those basically appears in the checklist, and those that don't don't. You picked a heck of a year to start. We got lots more material on Legacy than we ever have. <laughs> <laughs> so, anything else to report on the news, Steve? Don't think so. Just oh, be sure if you're if you're uh, to check out if you're interested to check out the EternalCentral.com website and take a look at one of those products if you're interested in them. And also, if you're heading to Gen Con and you're thinking about playing Gush, um, pick up my Gush book. If you already have a copy of the Gush book, um, which is available on QuietSpeculation.com, or if you'd like even an electronic copy and print it out, I'd be happy to sign it. So, see will be there. show this week, and let's talk about what we expect at the Vintage Championships coming up at Gen Con this weekend. This is awesome. I know. I'm so excited. I'm very excited about it this year, more so than even in past years. Why uh, is that for you? Well, I personally, I feel more prepared because right. we've been doing this show, but also, it's just, as we've observed, the show ever show... Well, did you miss a couple years? Oh, I did miss a couple when yeah. I was down in Texas, but... Mm-hmm. As we've been observing in the last few shows, the diversity of the format oh is so God, exciting. It's awesome. And there's been recent developments here and there. Cat Stacks is fascinating. Right. So we've got some up-and-comers going into this Renegade game, but we've also got some staples that have been on the scene for the last several months. Yeah. So we're going to give you a rundown of the decks you're likely to face and what the top performers are yeah. based on Steve's Q2 we metagame st- we results. We still have a big show for you. And this is a huge... This is... This is our, what is this, the most important week of the year for us? I yeah, mean, it, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think so. We'll, after the metagame, I'm sorry, after the event, we'll have a breakdown of the metagame and the performance and the results. It'll be, that'll be a fun to, show. We plan to be podcasting at Gen Con. Oh, yeah, that's right. So for anyone who's listening to this who's planning to be at Gen Con, we're going to be on site. Steve and I will be there. A bunch of our teammates will be there as well. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a podcast on site with some of the members of the vintage community who we don't get to talk to in person very often. That's yeah, going to be fun. That'll be awesome. And we're going to have some you firsthand accounts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Paul's good time. <laughs> Anybody who has never heard from Paul Mastriano in person will enjoy, I think, our, our material with him. Just just a note, um, we've got a lot to say, but um, no one no one seemed to notice that we had a little Easter egg in the last the end of the last podcast. That's right. It was Steve, reco- talk about that so there, Last year, uh, I met Hiromichi Atal. I, I couldn't attend the Vintage Championship the previous year because my sister's wedding. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I finally got to meet him, and we all we were all sitting around talking about the Vintage Champs, and we recorded him talking about Jace in the format. Right. And that recording, we were all sitting around. You can probably even recognize distinct our distinct voices and the laughter, but it's about four seconds. It's hilarious. Fast forward to the end of last week, our previous episode, and listen to it, or and you'll be able to hear it at the end of this one, too. I think I'll put it at the end of this one, too. It'll just, we'll just be you know, capstone to every episode. So. It's, it's hilarious. You, you kind of had to be there, but he was so he was so fired up. It oh, was so man. funny. Do you think he'll be here again this year? I wish I knew. It'd be great if he was. I mean, he he was the champion. He, he flew, he flew, Air Forsyth was telling me, to, when, when I was at Wizards last uh, a year ago, January, he's like, it's just amazing. This guy came all the way from Japan won it 
<laughs> you know, just like dedicated to the format. Well, love he, it. he didn't have such a good showing last year, so we'll see if he's inspired to to he, repeat. He's like us. He loves the format. Yeah. You know, he's. He, I, I think there's a really good chance if he can afford it. You know, it's it's an, exp- it's an expensive flight. You know, but Gen Con is pretty sweet. It is. It is. Here, meet you if you're listening to this. We want you there. Yeah. <laughs> stop by and say hi. That's right. We'd love to see you. So let's talk about first of all. Where do you want to start? So we want to do a vintage pre- preview of the vintage meta game. Yeah, and we want. Really, we want people to take away from this what they can expect to see. Okay. We want our listeners to do well. We want our listeners right. to be prepared, right? Right. So you've got a whole bunch of data under your belt from your recent analysis. So the metagame report. So let's talk about... Central. <laughs> let's talk broadly about what they can expect. Okay. What are they going to see when they sit down in round one and play well, seven or eight rounds of tournament? You know, so when I've been doing these metagame reports, first for Star City and now for Eternal Central... One of the things that I typically gloss over is the difference between American and European results. Mm-hmm. Matt and others in you know were like, no, there's actually a difference. And they're right. There is a difference. And so I tried to, to key into those. So we're just going to talk specifically not about global results, but about American results. And, you know, why don't we just start by saying, you know, when the Star City Games Power 9 circuit was going on, we there were distinct regional metagame differences, right? Definitely. I mean, so we would go to Northern Virginia three times a year, and we'd see something a little bit different than we go up north in New York. Right. And then we'd go to Chicago, and we'd see something a little bit different. Right. The Chicago metagame was actually very close to the Gen Con metagame. Yep. What t- what historically have you seen at Gen Con? Like, what do you recall seeing sort of the mix of? Well, my experience from the past couple of years and my recollection of what it's like is... I mean, you, look, it's, Kevin, you, you're one of the few people to have top-aided Vintage Champs twice. Right. And I am, too. Right. Like, there's only one person who's, top, who's top-aided three times. That's Brian. Right. So... But you've been there, but what do you expect to see? What, what's, what's the emphasis in, in Gen Con? Because of, the, because of what you said, because of the American metagame and its proximity to Chicago, you can in expect... Canada, with a lot of Canadians Canada, come down. You can expect... You can expect more than half to be blue-based decks, mostly control-ish decks. There's going to be lots of Jace and a little bit of Tezzeret. You can expect, even if it might I, not I'm, be... I'm not talking in terms of archives, but, like, broad strokes. Like, well, is there, is there more that's workshops the thing. than normal, less workshops than normal? There's going to be more workshops than normal, I would say. Yeah, I think so, More too. workshops than the countrywide statistics would indicate. Right. And you need to be prepared for Dredge and Oath. Yes. And if you're not prepared against blue-based decks, you're not really playing vintage regularly. So that's <laughs> well, not... I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of... The, the elephant in the room is you're going to play against Force of Will in half your rounds or more. But the point is that... Well, that's a, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, we, we I, did the metagame breakdown or uh, vintage itself. You observed that almost all the strategies... Basically, you can classify vintage into blue decks and colorless decks. Sure. Right? We, yeah. we talked about them with a few minor exceptions, of course. Granted. And, and a, the huge chunk of the blue decks are sort of blue strategic, blue strategies that are, one could call them blue-based control, like Oath, Painter, Remora, <laughs> right. uh, you know, Gush Control, uh, Bob J's Control, and Demar's Control, among others. So, I mean, all those decks, they're very different strategically. I mean, Painter is a very different strategic deck than Jay's Control. Granted. But it's, but they, uh, um, but they're still blue. <laughs> so speaking broadly, slightly more workshops than the than your vintage mm-hmm. analysis would possibly indicate. Mm-hmm. You're going to probably play against two or three workshop players and good ones. Yeah, good ones because last year, for instance, we had a couple of guys down from New York who are quality workshop players I and mean, it's the Chicago area folks and just general, which speaks to the fact that you're expecting specific personalities as well. Yeah, there are some individual people who will be at this event and those people tend to play certain decks. Yeah. And so if you're paired against... Well, give me an example. 
You were, you wanted to mention espresso stacks, for example. Yeah. Like, the Farinos will probably be playing espresso stacks. Right. <laughs> so if you play against uh, somebody with Great per- guys. perhaps an Italian last name that you don't recognize. <laughs> <laughs> and a thick New York accent. Right, that they mentioned that they're from New York. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you might have an indication <laughs> if you don't know those guys already. But the point is there there are metagame trends, right. but there are some personalities. If you sit down, uh, Brian DeMars, for example, isn't going to be playing in this event, sadly. Yeah, he'll be playing in that. But if you had sat down against Brian DeMars or someone of his <laughs> stature, you can expect to be playing a, a vintage control, control deck. deck. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there are a handful of personalities you, like you that. Did the, you ran the, the, the data based upon my metagame report. Why don't you just go through the rundown of what you what is the best performing deck best performing decks in vintage right now? Steve's results showed something very interesting, which is if you just look at top eight appearances, there was actually a, basically a four way tie for archetypes. In, in, Showing According up to top. My, my Q2 metagame report in U.S. top eight, United States top eight, right. those four decks in no particular order are Vintage Control, Bob slash Jace Control, Dredge, and Gush. Now, there's lots of variation inside of those. I recognize that, but, but so they're all basically tied with that, seven or eight appearances. Seven or eight appearances, right? Out of what was it? Demar's 64 control, decks. Demar's Control had eight appearances. The other three decks had seven appearances. But there's some wiggle room in how you one categorize of, those One decks. of the decks that I categorized as DeMar's Control was two-color. It wasn't right. really... Yeah. So we need some way to break this tie, and the first most obvious thing is to go to the final the performance. Victory. Right. Of those four decks, Bob Jace was the top performer with it, three victories. Yeah. Second place was Gush. With two victories. With two victories. Unfortunately... Dredge didn't win a single Dredge tournament. Dredge didn't win one, and DeMar's Vintage Control... control didn't win a, a single tournament either. So... You so Bob, Bob, the Bob Jace Control deck and Gush Control won five of the eight American tournaments in the in the time period. <laughs> and so we got two metrics to look at here. One of which is top eight appearances, which means these decks are doing well. Yes, you you should and expect to play them. And then there's the decks that are winning. The Bob's Jace decks and the Gush decks are winning. So it speaks to it was one thing you've asked me about before, though, is what your expectations are for the right. tournament. Before you go any further, let me just—it seems to me that the Bob Jace Control deck is the number one deck in the yeah. format. It's the deck to beat. It's the deck to beat right now. And what's interesting is it's been the deck to beat. I mean, this deck won the last two vintage championships. No, yeah, no surprise. Hiromichi Tao won with Bob Jace Control. Bob Control. Right. Jace obviously hadn't been seen print, but, but it was the precursor to that. It had thing. a tetherit, and he had a yeah, and. and then last year, Owen and, and Bob Mara won with the same deck, except they added Jason and, tri- and Trigon Predators instead of Rack and Ruin, which Hiramichi Atal had. Right. In fact, Hiramichi Atal had a rebuild, a Hercules Recall, and a Rack and Ruin, and I think a, fi- a Fire Eyes. <laughs> wow. And, and instead of all that hate, you know, but. Uh, they consolidated down to just Trigons, basically. To Trigon, yeah. So and, and Jace. Absolutely. If you are not preparing specifically against Bob Jace Control, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. But that's w- the that's the, that's the odds on favorite to win the tournament. Well, I would think, and that's it's what I wanted to get year, at. Two years, two of years in a row, it could be hated out. But in fact, the deck that, that Owen won with last year could easily win again. The same exact the exact list. sixty seventy five cards. If you just took <laughs> Owen's winning deck from last year, you are, you have a good deck. Yes, <laughs> if you know how to. play I would be shocked if you like took that deck and did less than you know fifty fifty. Yeah. If it's like your first vintage tournament. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> but so let's talk about, though, You one thing you've said to me and a number of other people at various times is what is your goal in the tournament? What is your expectation? Is your goal to go deep into the event and make top eight? Is that your personal goal? Or is your goal to win the thing and be the vintage champ? Yeah. And that speaks to really what you need to be prepared against. Because if you just want to go deep into this event, then play against a selection of blue-based decks, play against workshop decks, and test and get ready right. for diversity. If you want to win this event... You need to have a plan against workshops, for example, 
but you need to be you need to be ready to defeat the best players playing Bob J's control. I completely agree with that. I thought you were going somewhere else. I thought you were going to be talking about dredge. Because <laughs> no, this, I it, wasn't, but that's part of the equation. Of I course. mean, so what's interesting is okay. Again, the top four performing decks in the United States are basically there's a tie between Demar's control, Bob control, dredge, and Gush control. Dr- all these have the same number of top eight appearances, but dredge hasn't won a single tournament in the United States of twenty or more players in this entire time period. In fact. It won a tournament last weekend, but it was a 19-player tournament, so it wouldn't even right. made my my right. Well, Dredge doesn't what win does the tournament, but you? it makes top eights. And in fact, the fact that it's the it, it, it what, what percentage is it? These are 11. They're percent- all tied to 11 or 12 percent. Like Dredge in my Q2 report, which again is on internalcentral.com, has the the greatest surge I've seen possibly ever. I mean, this is the From most quarter over quarter. Quarter over quarter. This is the the best performant quarter for Dredge ever. That's incredible. I've, I mean, in the entire like five year history, I don't think I've ever seen it at eleven percent. Maybe like once. I think there was one time period where it was like twelve or thirteen percent. It was like four years ago, right? When it was fresh. It was fr- what does that tell you, though? What should I, our I, listeners take away? I from think that? that people are skimping on dredge hate, and they're really going. They're really uh, not just skimping, but they're trying to you know get away with like Paul, you know, trying to get away with four jailers. Right. It's just not, not acceptable. Like you, they're getting away in the dredge. The dredge players are getting better at answering them. So I, I want to talk about dredge, but I, why don't we just talk about dredge now? So what's really interesting is there's been this shift to Fate Stitcher. Yeah. And Fate Stitcher, the Fate Stitcher decks are very different because they're faster. They're actually arguably much, much faster, mm-hmm. but they're much less disruptive. So they trade disruption for speed. These are the first decks I've seen that don't have Chalice of the Void main deck. Now... You and I have seen lots and lots of builds of Dredge, but I want to interrupt you for just a moment yeah. and talk about what Fate Stitcher actually is. Because it's not, a, well, it's debatably standard in today's world, but Fate Stitcher is a blue creature that has Unearth for one blue, which is the relative, I'm sorry, the relevant part, not his casting cost. And his ability, once you unearth him and give him haste, is to tap or untap target permanent. So people are dredging him amongst all their other cards into the graveyard, getting a mana source that produces blue, which is which is important, that they're yeah. getting mana sources, and then they're using Fate Stitcher to bizarre an extra time. Exactly. So they're basically, they bizarre. it's effectively, in Dredge's terminology, a time walk. Yes. You get a creature for one blue that gives you an effective time walk. Yes. Because you get one more activation of there bizarre. There are obviously other upsides, but, but the, so how does it make it faster? Well, these decks, it's interesting. It, it's, it makes these decks less, these decks have to run Black Lotus, Lion's Eye Diamond. They, well, they do run Black Lotus, Lion's Eye Diamond, Lotus Petal, and Mox Sapphire on main deck. Which is incredible. To support, <laughs> to support the, the Fate Stitcher, and so what, they can activate it. What lands as well, in addition to that? Uh, so they also run, so this, this was the list uh, that I pulled. This was a, a, a representative winning dredge list that has, for land, four Bizarre Baghdad, three City of Brass, four Undiscovered Paradise, two Dakmore Salvage in addition to those four artifact accelerations. But because it runs those four artifact accelerations, all these lands... That's 11 sources of blue. It's, it, it, exactly. It skimps on... There's no Chalice of the Void. Right. There's no Unmask. Um, so many what of the... What disruption do they have left? They have... Th- this this list has... They have three to four therapies, and that's basically it. So this is, but, a, this is a really fast list. This is a really fast list. But what's interesting is that it actually has some built-in protection. 
because by being able to run, by running Fate Stitcher, you're required to run all these blue mana sources. Mm-hmm. And so you have all the lands you need main deck, so your sideboard isn't like half land and half answers. <laughs> it's all answers. We've seen lots of dredge lists in the past that had to load up their sideboard with six or seven lands and the answer spells they were planning to cast. So this right. list doesn't have that quite that same problem. It can have a diversity of answers in the sideboard. And it does. And more reliability to cast them. What mm-hmm. kind of answers are we talking about? Take a look. We're talking about Ancient Grudges, Chain of Vapors, which are omnipresent, One Extra Land, Dark Blast, Firestorm, and Nature's Claim. So we've Firestorm's got really popular. Yeah. So basically, dredge lists that I'm referring to in the past without quite so much mana had lands in their sideboard, and they almost always had Chain of Vapor and Nature's Claim. Right. Now this deck, in addition to all of that, has access to Ancient Grudges, Dark Blasts, and Firestorms. Contagion is also sometimes very popular. Right. Although I'm not sure how good this deck is it probably is pretty good it has blood gas main deck bridges things like that you can pitch but this deck is is this is the it seems appears to be the future of dredge also notice sun titan yeah i noticed sun that. titan sun titan this deck has three sun titan which i, I think matt sperling was the first to talk about using in dredge and sun titan is is basically here a recursion target for it brings a fate to turn to play so <laughs> you have you dread return this the but, sun titan to bring to bring your Fate Stitcher back, or are you bringing back mana sources for which to activate a Fate Sorry, Stitcher? You can bring in a Bazaar. You can bring uh, all sorts of things. Yeah. So you've got four mana sources that Sun Titan could return, which would allow you to bring back a Fate Stitcher, which will allow you to dredge another time. Yeah. So it's there's all these internal synergies that allow you to see more cards. There are lots ultimately. of options. Right. But anyway, th- these decks are faster, but um, and they're just not as disruptive. They don't have Chalice or Unmask, so, you know... You know, one of the, the big things I think that the problem that the Dredge has had is that the format is just faster. Like, yeah. Blightsteel Colossus is a major threat. So this deck has really no way of dealing with Tinker. You know, Tinker, you know, turn one at least. Um, post-board, obviously, has the Chain of Vapors and so on. Sure. So, if, again, what does this mean for our listeners? Well, I think it goes to the point that you made, which is which is that if your goal is to win the tournament, you can't skimp on Dredge hate. Now, if your goal is just to make top eight, you can probably do that, because you I... Can- s- I can take a loss to Dredge in the Swiss. Yeah, you'll probably face it once. And maybe get beat by it in the, in the top maybe eight. Maybe get beat by it. In the, yeah, and if it makes top eight, then you have at least a, a quarter, one in four chance of playing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if you're... If you're, to, if, you're <laughs> if you're progressing through the rounds of the top eight, yeah. Yeah. So, if you want to win this tournament, you have to, you be, able have to, be, to be prepared for Dredge. I think that, the, yeah, again, the, the top four decks are the Bob J, the Bob Jace deck, the Mars Control, Dredge, and Gush. You also have to be prepared for workshops. I mean, you did, go ahead and tell them the data you pulled. Well, it's very interesting. It, it all comes down to how you aggregate workshop decks, basically. Yeah. Because as Steve counted up, he showed that workshop decks were not in the top four if you count aggro and control strategies separately. Right. If you look but at the global s- if you look at the global metagame, Workshop Aggro is the second best performing deck, period, because after Bob J's control. Because it's much more popular and in Europe. successful in Europe. Yeah. If you combine Workshop Control and Aggro in the States, it suddenly well, takes first place over all any of the other individual blue decks. Right, so there's there's two points. The one you just made, which is that wor- neither Workshop Control nor Workshop Aggro really have a presence in the United States by themselves. Fifty fifty. It's fifty-fifty split, but it's with a slight edge to, to aggro. Yep. But in terms of top eight appearances, but individually they're like five percent of the metagame. Right. Right. Five point five percent of the metagame. And they're not winning these tournaments in the United States. They're not, and the, they haven't won a single tournament in the United States either, either except for the most recent Slash Panther deck for Baltimore. <laughs> we won right. Thirty player. What's interesting is that um, 
the, the, there's a difference between the European and American metagames. Globally, Workshop Aggro is a top performer. The United States, it's not. So, you know, they're, they don't even make the top four or five, even or top six top performing decks in the United States. But if you combine them, which is Kevin saying, they become a major player. They become how what percent? 17% together. 17%. So you have a basically one in five chance of, of playing a shop deck, a little yeah. less. But pro- I would say more now that Slash Panther... I think it's surging a little yeah. bit right as we speak and going right. into next weekend. So I would say I would expect to play two workshop decks in the Swiss and then another one or two if you make top eight on right. your way to the finals. But if you aggregate all the blue decks, though, the blue control decks, you, you is over 50% of top eight. So. Naturally. Like I said, yeah. if you're not preparing against the Force of Will in general in Vintage, you're doing it well, wrong. Well, Force of Will is much bigger because Force of Will is in the fish decks and in the combo decks, TPS. Granted, granted, so Force of Will is actually like in two-thirds of decks. We're talking about blue engines then. Jace, yeah. Bob, Gush. The, you will face blue a blue control-ish deck in half of the matches. You found that there are some engines that aren't showing up in the States very much at all. That's R- right. Remora specifically. Painter and Remora are really in Turbo Tesseret are basically minuscule in the United States or non-existent. Remora is non-existent. Right. Remora is actually just wedged into these other decks, so you'll find <laughs> a couple Remoras. The Remora engine basically has three components: it's Remora, Repeal, and Mindbreak Trap, right. or some equivalent to Mindbreak Trap. Those three cards. So you often often see Remora control decks in Europe that have like four Remoras, three or four Repeals, and three or four Mindbreak Traps, or you'll see a hybrid deck that has like three Remoras. Two repeal and two mind break trap. Right. So there's like shoving in half the you know engine. Those decks really don't exist in the United States. And TurboTez is strangely enough, even though it seems to have originated in the United States, a largely European phenomenon. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past it to appear and, and do okay in this tournament. Right. We'll see though. It, it's very interesting. I personally don't consider TurboTez to be a good option if I'm going to play more than half my matches against other blue mages. Well, well there have been a number of problems with the TurboTez deck, and we've highlighted them. Revoker seen print. That's another good example. Yeah. Um, Null Rod has seen a little bit more play. And, and maybe Ancient Grudge is a huge liability in the metagame. And you know what? For a five-casting cost Planeswalker who wins the game next turn, I would say that Slash Panther is a big issue. Yeah, because if you resolve your your strategy is working out just fine against your workshop playing opponent. You've got your Grim Monolith on turn one, your Tezzeret on turn two searches up, uh, searches up Time Vault, and maybe they don't have a guy in play, yeah. and so you're you're just completely confident. And then they have so many plays now in these Slash Panther decks that could just True. ruin your day. They could play Null Rod, they could play Revoker, they could play Slash Panther. They've got fully eleven or twelve cards right. out of nowhere that just take the game over. Demar's control deck has a silver bullet against an ancient grudge. In fact, the Mars control deck is it appears to be one of the most popular decks among the top players. Right. I mean, in the recent tournament in, in, in Ohio in Sandusky, there were, I think, two versions of his deck in the top four, yeah. the top five, and both those pilots said, this is the most insane deck ever. This <laughs> deck is awesome. But for some reason, it's not taking home the title. It's not taking home the title. That is a very important observation. It, the Bob and the Gush decks are. But... You never know. I mean, it takes a, a very good pilot. Plan. It's a popular deck. Yeah. The Demars Control deck is very popular, and that's something you have to absolutely be prepared for as you, well. You think there's a little bit of nostalgia at play there? People I like think so. Playing it's the deck, control. and people people have uh, you know played the deck. It is the closest thing to the deck. In fact, I call it the deck. Right. Um, it doesn't rely on other Gusher Bob and his City of Brass and all of these answers. And it's a very skill intensive, you know, select you know card selection deck. I definitely think that that plays a part. Um, so why don't we talk about the Gush deck then, the Gush control? And again, we said this in our what our first or second podcast was our second podcast. Right. This is basically consolidated towards one streamlined archetype. Only a few card difference 
Right. So these Gush decks, they have an interesting position in the metagame, in my opinion. There are a lot of people, a lot of some of our teammates, who share the opinion that Gush makes you generally weak against workshop decks. I, I share that opinion as well. And yeah. so, but in an environment where you can expect to face workshops maybe two out of seven rounds, and then you're going to be playing against your blue-based opponents more often than that, you can position yourself with maybe your workshop answers in the sideboard and lots of practice against the workshop decks to shore up that matchup. And these Gush decks, in your analysis, were only one victory behind Bob Jace. And I think that means so that we, you have to be expected to play against some of them. If you, if you sit down against a, a player named Sean Anthony, <laughs> <laughs> Sean Anthony has been tearing up the East Coast with this Gush Control deck and others, Jesse Martin, you know, um, and his in Sean's list, he's now calling it East Coast wins or the best deck ever, whatever. It's it's gut <laughs> control, and it's it's um, he uses as the win condition the same thing. He's he emptied the Warrens. He's got Jace. Um, he's actually cut something. He's playing mental missteps. He's not. Some, he's not playing Bob's in that list, right? No, this is just this, this is, is just gut con- control, uh-huh. um, and he's got mental misstep. Um, Jace. His win conditions are Tinker for Blightsteel and Empty the Warrens. Some players use a Tendrils instead of Empty, but he's been really pushing uh, Empty. Um, but this, thi- this deck is basically, you know, we've seen this 57 cards the same. Yeah. Go ahead. This it really speaks to the interaction of all these engines. I don't know why exactly, but I would want to be playing... Oh, he doesn't have Thoughtseize. He's playing Middle Misstep instead of Thoughtseize now. Interesting. Yeah, so it's four Force, three Drains, two Metal Missteps. In fact, one of his most recent lists had three Metal Missteps. Someone said, well, don't you play against Workshops? He said, Workshops don't exist where I play. <laughs> so, I mean... Which it, which means if you're gonna if you're looking at this deck and you like it, like I said, you need to have a plan against Workshops, and you need to practice. But if you're skilled at this deck at piloting it against other, say, Bob and Jace control decks, you might have an advantage with your speed. When Gush was unrestricted... Um, Owen Turtonwald wrote an article for Channel Fireball basically posting this list because he liked the empty, quote, empty gush deck Mm -hmm. from 2007, and that's basically what this is, updated. It's interesting to me that Remora is not making more of a splash in the U.S. if this deck is so popular. I think that's a nod to to Bob to some extent. I think that the lack of Remora, but but Bob is doing well everywhere, so I don't know. Right. You know, it it may also be a a nod to the... um, you know, I don't know. I can't explain it. Memora is so, you know, not not played very much. But it's uh, it's, it's a strong tactic, obviously. I'm wondering if there are... It's kind of like a rock-paper-scissors situation with the Gush and Remora and Bob and Jace in these blue decks. If Gush and Empty are doing so well then you want to be on the Remora side of things with the Mind Break Traps because yeah. you're going to get such an advantage in that matchup. Right, but if you're playing against the Bob... But if you're on Remora's and Mind Break Traps and you go up against Bob's and Jace's, you're at a severe disadvantage because yeah. they play down Bob and you're looking at your Remora's thinking, wow, I lose this And race. they have a larger mana base and they sit there with top and just... And they can just wait you out and, yeah. and threaten your life total with Bob and Bob doesn't trigger Remora, so you're losing advantage there. It's just... and then there's, They play their top and with Bob and they're just going to town. Right. And so <laughs> I really feel like there's a rock, paper, scissors kind of interaction between Possible. these decks. And the thing that's keeping them all performing well, relatively well, is simply because you can't, none of them can get a foothold. Right. And then there's this Demars control deck that sort of mixes things up and right. has a better matchup against workshops. And so it's maybe going deeper into the Swiss 
And it's, it's just good against everything. It's just, yeah, it's just generally good. So so we've covered the top four decks, and we talked about workshops. What I think there is one workshop variant besides the Flash Panther deck you need to be prepared for, and that's Espresso Stacks, which is a very American deck. <laughs> and let me give you that list. Um, and the reason is because, again, the New York players um, will, will be playing this. This is uh, has all the standard mana, except it has Rashad and Port. Yep. Um, and the key features are Serum Powder, which is unusual to see in a workshop deck, but... Not so unusual in my eyes or yours, of <laughs> right. course, but not very common in today's day and age. Four Chalice, four Thorn, two Sphere of Resistance, which I think is interesting. One Trinisphere, four Smokestack, four Tanglewire, three Crucible of Worlds, four Lodestone Golem, three Karn, and two Phyrexian Metamorphs. So this is the con- workshop control. Yep. The control key control elements being Smokestack, Crucible, and really, I think, Karn. And then Serum Powder for consistency. Right. So this deck is carrying a niche in the American metagame. If I'm playing a workshop deck and I'm in a metagame with more than my share of workshops, I want to be on this control side because you've got the Crucibles and you've got the bigger creatures to to stave off their Slash Panthers and other stuff. So this deck definitely has a place. And as we saw in your analysis, it's running neck and neck in the States with the aggro decks. So the aggro decks might be surging at the moment. We might see that change in Q3. But... Really, this all comes down to if the New York contingent shows up, you can re- reliably expect a lot of them to be running something I, I would, like this. I, mean, I would be surprised if there's at least one of these in the top eight. Yeah. What are our other key takeaways? Well, we've covered the decks you're expected to face. We've covered the we, top performer in Bob Jace. We talked about Dredge. And we, we talked about the strategic diversity. Well, I think what's really interesting about the strategic diversity is, you know, just the sheer variety of draw engines. Right. So... When I was compiling the metagame report for uh, Eternal Central, I saw these draw engines. Jace, Dark Confidant, J- Gush, Mystic Remora, Tezzeret, Thoughtcast, Night's Whisper. Intuition, by the way, is a like 5 or 6% of the metagame globally, 0% in the United States. Interesting. There's these Intuition AK and Intuition Deep Analysis decks. Uh, and there's, of course, also Top Key is a... Sensei's Divine Top Plus Key is an engine in, in, in with Tezzeret and the right. Turbo Tez deck. Um, and then I saw these things mixed and matched in strange ways. So there's like one deck that was like Intuition plus Bob's plus Jace plus, I think there might have even been one, you know, another one of the things in there. So it was really, you know, you see these things like, you know, mixed and matched in almost every possible permutation. Right. Um, and I, like I said, there was a Knight's Whisper control deck instead of a, they had Knight's Whisper over Bob's. So, I mean, there's just so many options right now. It's incredible. So if you're brewing for this event, the world is really your oyster. Yeah, it's it's amazing. There isn't a, This is the first time I've ever done a metagame report where there wasn't a single archetype over 12% of the field. Interesting. And that bears out not just globally, but in the United States. Yeah. You know, where the top the, the most top eight uh, appearances were was for DeMar's Control. That's incredible. I mean, think about something like when Tezzeret, with Thirst for Knowledge, was at its peak... It was, I think, something like 30% of the metagame, top eights. To set up nothing, it just over almost, it have no single archetype composing much more than 10% of the field is remarkable. What does this, to you, what does this say to our listeners? What should they do to prepare for this event? You know, I think that it says a couple things. One, it says that Vintage right now looks a lot like Legacy in some respects. Right. That it's just a lot of variability. But the second thing is I think it's a real opportunity. You know, in the past, 
Vintage has been really susceptible to excellent metagaming. You know, like someone like Brian DeMars can come up with this control deck that solves the four quadrants of the field. I think metagaming is, while certainly important, maybe not as essential as it was, and I think there's a huge space for creativity and, and radical brews. Yeah. Like, I would not... This is the moment for radical, innovative, shake-up-the-world, at least for a tournament, you know, deck. Right. Like, for example, the, in one of the European results, this guy, Omar Rohner, <laughs> who, <laughs> who won the Bazaar of, of Moxon with uh, the TurboTaz deck, a couple months later played a, a deck with Oath and Show-and-Tell and Channel for Emrakul. We've been talking about that deck. Yeah. I mean, that deck is wild. It might not be that good, but it's a deck that can certainly win a tournament if it surprises the field. Right. You know, it can come. So this show and tell showing up in vintage, Emrakul showing up in vintage, um, it has eight ways to get, nine ways to get the Emrakul down on basically turn one, two, or three. Right. Four oaths, fourth show and tell in one channel. And you've got to believe that the first time you go land lotus petal channel and rock cool against your opponent <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get some turned heads <laughs> yes that would definitely be the story of vintage champs if someone was wrecking the field channeling out in rock how repeatedly. sweet is that <laughs> well i mean i just i just think that there's a lot of again there's a space in the metagame right now for right. creative innovative brews look at that white trash deck exactly <laughs> really capitalize on the consistent the predictability of a lot of these other archetypes right you do, now you have to you have to be able to beat the bob jace control deck yep but if you could do that and you can sideboard for dredge you, you know the world might be your oyster right well closing comments i'm very excited i'm thrilled uh make sure to stop by and say hi to us introduce yourself it's going to be a, a freaking blast. Absolutely. We're going to be soliciting and collecting people's feedback, not only about the show, but about their experience at the Vintage Champs this year. So we, we definitely want to hear from you. Bom, 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 bom. segment something this is something i personally wanted to do and i know you've been interested in it this podcast when we first laid out that we were going to do this podcast in in theory we were talking and like we can get into some really detailed scenarios and debate the outcomes and the possibilities so let's talk about five scenarios okay we've got scenario one scenario one these are these are scenarios that we've either devised or have come across in testing in fact we've been looking for things like this and as we do this more often, as you hear these and you come across them, submit them to... Oh, yeah, definitely. Send them to our email, so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com. Or you can just tweet us if you can yeah. get it in 140 characters at many insane plays. Right. We definitely would love to hear your scenarios because we could probably do a whole listener show. I mean, a whole show of just listener-provided scenarios. It'd be right. great. Scenario one. You're on the draw playing a workshop aggro deck. Your opponent, you don't know what they're playing, but on their first turn, they went Island, Preordain, Mox Ruby, Go. Mm -hmm. Here's your opening hand. Did they play the island, or was it a fetch land out? It was just an island. Okay. Here's your hand. Mox Jet, Mishra's Workshop, Ancient Tomb. That's your mana sources. Tangle Wire, Sphere Resistance, Lodestone Golem, Phyrexian Revoker. 
what is your turn one play? This, this is a great scenario. Um, it brings to bear a number of analytical approaches. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, I, I love workshop decks. My favorite, my favorite thing about playing workshop decks is how amenable their opening hands are to logical reasoning. You know, it's like it's in linear logical reasoning where you don't have to sort of like, you know, it's a lot like playing chess. It is. It is, in fact, a lot like playing chess. It's not. Although you in chess, you're obviously seeing deeper into this, you know, situation like towards end games and mid games and tuning scenarios like you do with blue decks and blue decks. You often are sort of playing with what's not in your hand and not on the board. You're thinking about you know what you're going to draw and what you're going to tutor for. Yeah. Because it's so much library manipulation with a workshop deck. It's much more what's my opening hand, what's the board. Yeah. Um, and so it focuses attention on some really key areas. I think that, and again going to my point about how you approach an opening hand, I like to actually use process of elimination, or start with what's possible and then evaluate each option and then try and figure out which is logically superior or if there's you know remove first strictly inferior plays and then you know weaker plays i think we can apply that approach to this hand here we've got three mana sources and four business spells so the first thing you have to decide in something like this is the the banal decisions which what's the first card you can play there are three cards you can play first you can play ancient tomb mistress workshop or mox ruby uh, it's Mox Jet in this Sorry, Mox Jet. Your opponent has Ruby. <laughs> right. Um, I think that, so, I mean, generally speaking, if we don't or we don't think our opponent has Wastelands, you're probably going to leave with Workshop. Right. For two reasons. One, it produces more mana, and secondly, it means less damage. Right. I would agree. Also, there's the issue of giving away information, which as a Workshop player playing against a clearly blue-playing opponent, you immediately need to think about how much information you're conveying with each one of your plays. Right. This hand, for instance, is capable of producing... Four mana on the first turn. Right. And to use all of that four mana, you have Lodestone Golem, or you could play Phyrexian Revoker and Sphere Resistance. Mm-hmm. So or, or to use it all, right. To use it all, sure. Yeah. Tangle Bar is still an option, of course. Yeah. But my point is that if you lead with Mishra's Workshop and not reveal Mox Jet until after your first play, you're constricting your opponent's information. If you go land Revoker, for instance... They have a debate then in their head with their imperfect information about whether or not you have more accelerants and more plays after that. I see. So you want to, you may want to hold the mocks. Interesting. I didn't even consider that. An overeager player might, if they're not used to this kind of constraint of um, imperfect information, might right. go workshop mocks and then play Phyrexian Revoker. Right. At which point you've already told your opponent straight out that you have access to another lot component on turn one. You, compared well, to if just you, if, you, if you go, oh, you mean if you go workshop mocks Revoker? Right. Yeah, but if you just go workshop revoker, right? You're, you're really your going to make them think maybe they're they're not going to do anything else this turn. Exactly. exactly. Very well put. Your yeah. opponent might jump to the conclusion if they're not forethinking. They might jump to the conclusion that hey, if I force this revoker, I've nullified their first turn. I have my way with them basically. Right. An experienced <laughs> player though will see that revoker with a mana floating in a workshop deck on turn one is possibly a trap. We don't want to tell you what the blue deck is at the moment because we don't want to prejudice your evaluation as we go through this analysis. <laughs> That's right. But let's just address that up front because, I mean, address, you know, um, let, let's let's deal with that issue in general in general terms because it's going to bear on our analysis right. going through. Um, when your opponent goes island, preordain, mox, Ruby, we, we the, the the limiting factor is obviously the preordain. So it uh, rules out fish decks. It rules out um, 
a, a number of blue decks, it certainly suggests that they could be playing Brian's deck. They could be playing Gush deck. By by that you mean the Vintage Control deck. Right, the Vintage Control deck. They could be playing Gush deck, or they could be playing like TPS or something like that. Right. It what they're and there are a couple other possibilities, but they're probably not playing. They're not playing Turbo Tez. Probably not. They're not playing. I mean, that's important because that's the Revoker is there. Yeah. They're not playing Turbo Tez. They're not playing. Um, what can we rule out? I guess that's the best way of putting it. What can we rule out there that, that, that they're not playing? In terms of blue, they're not playing Fish. They're not playing Turbo Tez. They're likely not playing the Bob deck. Most, Although, most players, well, that's a iffy one, but yeah. I would say more than average, the Bob Jace decks don't have preordains in right. them. Some people have done that, but right. I would say you're probably greater than 50% that they're not playing Bob Jace at so, that point. So that's real useful information exactly. that you've gotten from just a couple cards. Um, I, I would say, given the fact that they led with Island, I would put them on the Demar's Control deck, because that deck has two or three Islands main deck. That's Whereas right. the other, most of those other decks probably only, although Turbo has a lot of Islands, but since it's you know, since, yeah, since it's preordained, you can rule out Turbo Yeah. So what we're talking about here is the island, just the naturally drawn island is more likely in, of the decks that are remaining, is most likely in the vintage control deck that has right. multiple islands in it. Right, and, and what are the implications for that? You could expect, you, just, it's not that when you're, you're conducting this analysis that you conclude that they're a particular deck, but what you, right. what you do is you say there's a, a good chance of the, that there's this, and then you want to factor that into your analysis and calculations. For example, having ruled out... Turbotez, it influences the value of Phyrexian Invoker considerably. And changes, it, it narrows your, op, your, your, likely, right. Right. your likely calls with it. Yeah. So I, w- I want to point out here that we've done a, a pretty thorough discussion about what your opponent could be playing, but if you are an aspiring workshop player, and you're not perhaps not very familiar with the metagame, or not right. familiar with the implications of everything we just said, right. you may simply lead and tend toward just playing Lodestone Golem, which... I would argue in almost any matchup that involves your opponent going right. island is not a bad play. <laughs> so let, let's address address this in, a, in an organized way. Yeah. So we, we've talked about. I think we've we we haven't ex- made this explicit, but I think we agree. You lead with workshop and you don't play the mocks yet. I think there's no so, scenario in so, which you want that mocks to come out unless it's first, immediately right. provide uh, preceded by lodestone golem. <laughs> there's only one reason to lead with mocks if you think your opponent is idiotic enough to force a will a mocks on turn one, <laughs> and you can draw out a counter spell. For some yes. reason. That's it. That's right. I mean, but if your opponent has an island on tap, you wouldn't do that anyways because you don't want the spell pierce, you know, the mocks, whatever. Right. You, you lead with the shop. Yeah. Well, you can't actually pay for a mocks with... Can you pay for a spell you pierce? You cannot shop? pay That's for a spell pierce with Mishra's Workshop. Well, that is a reason to play Ancient Tomb instead of... <laughs> if their island was untapped. If you have, like, a be, Black Lotus or something. That would be a valid line. Uh, in any case, so we, we're going to play the Mishra's Workshop regardless. Yep. Yeah, we may or may not play the mocks next depending on what we're going to do. So let's highlight our... Let's identify each possible line of play. So the first line of play is Mox, Lodestone Golem. Yep. That'll be, we'll call that line one. Yep. Line of play two would be uh, Revoker, Mox, Sphere. Yep. That'll call that line two. Line three would be Tangle Wire. In which case you wouldn't play the Mox. Right. You would not play the Mox. Right. Good point. Mm-hmm. And then what? What's what's the... I mean, well, there, that, there that's are, actually a line of play, but we were just going to eliminate that as strictly inferior. So you could actually, that's actually two lines of play. One you could go <laughs> shop, mox, wire. Yeah. Well, that's just much worse than just playing shop, shop wire. wire yeah. right. And uh, with one possible caveat, and that is days. <laughs> <laughs> right. But right. days is the, very underrepresented. Days is only played in fish. And right. We, we've already concluded this is not the a The presence of preordained basically rules out days from this scenario. Which yes. is, so that's an important and valuable assessment 
about how you rule out decks to start with. Yes. Don't play around days if your opponent led with preordained. <laughs> and, and so then the, uh, so we there, have four are, scenarios. there are four and five, I think, scenarios that involve one of either Sphere of Resistance or Revoker, but not the other. Okay, and yeah. And I would... I would argue those that both valid. of those are they're valid, but they're probably both inferior, inferior to playing both of right. those cards. But you should at least still consider them. Any yes. any good workshop player is going to consider plays. Look, I, I'm reading this great book of Bobby Fisher. Uh, yeah. Bobby Fisher, it's it's a phenomenal biography. And one of the things when he when he was 13 and he uh, won the U.S. Open, and he was uh, I might have just turned 14. He was playing a, a grandmaster mm-hmm. in 14 or 13 or 14 at the uh, Manhattan I mean, the Marshall Chess Club. And the, the game he played was called the Game of the Century. Huh. And what he did was he sacrificed, he made a completely counterintuitive play where he sacrificed his queen to gain an incredible board position. So sometimes what will happen is we will rule out things that look ridiculous on mm-hmm. the face of it, like just playing the Revoker or just playing the Sphere. But there are very highly contextual reasons to make those plays. So don't allow yourself <laughs> to short-circuit you know, those options, Right. evaluate them. And then, you know, it's often a, a pro forma evaluation. You'll say, okay, well, just like we did, you know, with the mocks in the Tangle Wire scenario, mm-hmm. but there may actually be a reason to play the, the mocks, like we just said, like if your opponent has days. Right. And if, if you're playing against a fish egg, you're going to be very happy you made that pl- that, that mocks play. Right. You know, usually the wrong play. Well, and I think there are very relevant reasons to not play a revoker in general in this scenario. Meaning, Hold on, are there any other options? What are the other cards in the hand? No, that, uh, we've covered all of them. You can play Is the there golem. a metamorph in the hand? No, it... not this okay. hand. You can play the golem, you can play a tomb, you can play some combination of revokers and spheres. Revoker the Tangle Wire. Yeah. Like, so there's, Tangle I thought we had Wire, four scenarios. The first is, is Lodestone Golem. The second was uh, Revoker, Revoker and Sphere. sphere. The, the third, third is Tangle Wire. What was the fourth? Four and five are one half of Sphere okay, or gotcha. Revoker. Okay. I think we can rule both those out. We can rule those, both those yeah. out as inferior to two. Right. So the so question is what's three possible three? lines, really. Yeah. So the well, there's a lot there's a lot of overlap between the Sphere line and the Golem Sphere. Which play would you make? Which play would I make? Yeah. I make the Lodestone Golem play because I value... I think you get the best of all possible worlds with that play. Uh-huh. The only thing that really truly undoes that Lodestone Golem play is if Tink- your opponent is following up with... No, they can't play Tinker with... They could have a Mana Crypt, but yeah, or Lodestone. If they had another... Yeah. If they had sandbagged a Mox or they draw a Mox, yeah. they could still Tinker. None of your plays stopped them from tinkering side, shy, shy of Tangle Wire. I oh. believe ta- if they if you're in the face of Tinker, Tangle Wire sets you back too far anyway. We'll, 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 we'll analyze that yeah. possibility. But. but I would lead with Lodestone Golem. It provides the clock. It provides most of the value of the sphere effect. And it also keeps Revoker in your hand for any surprises. Because you can still get a lot of value out of Revoking whatever they play on the next turn. What do you think the chances are that they'll have Force of Will, though? A very good question. Force of Will, in the abstract, we can expect them to have it 40% of the time. And they've preordained, which means they've seen two... We didn't actually make a note of whether or not they kept either or both of the cards, but they have an increased likelihood. I would say they're probably up to 45, maybe 50% of, not 50%, probably 45% to have Force of Will. I I have to admit, I would probably go Lodestone Golem, but I haven't evaluated it. I'm just intuiting. And this, I think, you know, underscores the importance of actually doing the analysis. Mm -hmm. You know, like, a lot of times I'll open a workshop hand, I would say probably like 80% of the time, maybe 80%. 82, 85 percent of the time, when I open a workshop hand, my intuition accords with my analysis. Huh. But 
the 15% of the time that it doesn't, the 20% of the time it doesn't, is tremendously important. Where you actually going through the analysis makes all the difference in the world. So let's go through the merits of each line. That's a very good point, because I think the revoker sphere plan is deceptively powerful in this scenario. I completely agree. With, the, load, the, with the lodestone golem in play, your opponent's non-artifact spells cost one more, assuming they play a land the next turn, and assuming they aren't well, the sandbagging Moxen, yes. they have three mana. The revoker, which, I assume you're, we're talking about naming the Mox, right? Oh yeah, we are. Yeah. But, <laughs> you're right, there's, there's a whole bunch of revoker <laughs> lines that we haven't really touched on. If you play the lodestone golem in the abstract, they have another land, they're going to get to play a two-casting cost non-artifact spell. They're going to get to right. play Dark Confidant is a good example of what right. they could play. Right. With and the so Golem, they could play Dark Confidant. With Golem, you're giving them access to Dark Confidant, with, which is with, going to be a very common follow-up to this line. With Sphere Revoker, you're, you're, you're basically hitting them twice. It's like, and that's I'm killing it. your mocks, and I'm... <laughs> and that's exactly it. Assuming they have that same land, and you play Revoker on Mox and Sphere, they're back down to just playing one casting cost spells on the next turn, which so is let's very go valuable. Let's each of the lines and do advantages and benefits, and then do direct comparisons. Yeah. So the advantage of line one, which is just Golem, yep. is you have a fast clock. You're disrupting them some, you're, and you have a fast clock. You're preventing them from playing basically two spells next turn. They can play one spell, right? I mean, unless they unless have another... Unless they're sandbagging Mox and or another, something. Yeah, or, to, or top deck, another Mox or right. Accelerant. They can play one spell. You've cut, the them off case three, you've cut them off from three costs, and the, the which worst cuts can them it, off from Tinker most yeah, specifically. They can't, they can't play, they're not likely to play Tinker unless they have Force. If they have Force, this is where the Revoker Sphere play becomes much better. That's right. But, if they have one Force of Will, your Revoker Sphere play still cuts them off from <laughs> yeah, Tinker. Yes. Which is incredible. It's, I know. It's, you know it's what, unbelievable. I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm thinking the Sphere Revoker play is better. I really, but but let's, let's dig deeper. So, the thing about the Sphere Revoker play is they... If they have force, you're still cutting them off of a three casting cost spell. And also, <laughs> if they both hit, you've taken them. You've basically time walked. You'd say it's jet. It's, it's, it's my jet. jet. That's yeah. a huge reason to play revoker. I mean, you prevent them from playing Bob. Oh too. no, no, no. They're your mox is jet. Their mox is ruby. Oh, they're oh yes. Yeah. So, yeah if they so. had jet, you're right. That'd be another yeah. good reason. They can't. They couldn't vamp or anything. But you yeah. know what? It, that brings up another consideration. If you see island preordain, and Loop. we think we think that the vintage control deck is likely, you. The presence of Mox Ruby should be a red flag because that means they have immediate access to Ancient, Ancient Grudge. Tomb. Ancient Grudge, yeah. Regardless of what other lands exactly. they have. And exactly. That's another key thing. In, that's in, a huge in general, reason to revoke. In yeah. general, right. In general, in that matchup, if you knew you were playing against Vintage Control, getting to revoke specifically their Ruby is very powerful. <laughs> yes. Their deck is basically City of Brass and Basic Islands. Right. And their Ruby is like their best mocks. If <laughs> they have city, if their hand consists of Ancient Grudge and City of Brass and other cards, and you go Revoker on Ruby Sphere, you have a very high likelihood of cutting them off of Ancient Grudge for the, for the rest, rest of the game. That game yes. which, which is incredible. Next turn you have Tangle Wire. And Next turn you have Tangle Wire and, or, or Golem. Or Golem. Yeah. Either one cuts them off for another yes. turn. That's an incredibly well, powerful line. Sh- should we rule out Tangle Wire then? Is, is, is Tangle Wire either strictly inferior to the other two. So, again, what I like to do is I like to identify the lines of play and yeah. then begin ruling ruling out plays. Because I think that's better than actually trying to say, oh, which is best. When you, I think Tangle Wire is obviously inferior to all the other plays. I, I don't. I think okay. that Tangle Wire is... Um, t- what what possible advantage does Tangle Wire have? Tangle Wire prevents an opponent from going uh, Mana Crypt Tinker or Lotus Tinker. If they have Mana Crypt and land, they still get access to that play. If they have land Mana Crypt, uh, no. Mm. And you play Tangle Wire, they still just play land and Mana Crypt and then Tinker. That's true. So you're not stopping that play. So the, it, it does very little. Um, 
the thing so what can you do if you go shop tango wire next turn you can go ancient tomb mox and you and you're very constrained and you've got three you mana play. which means you've cut yourself off, off of golem and think, you've cut yourself off of the bolster two casting cost spells. I think that's the key thing is with the Tango Wire play. And Tango Wire is also better as a tempo play. Yes. So if you follow Tango Wire... It's you, much better when you're tapping three or four permanents with Tango Wire. You get much more well, value out of it. That, and, and it's better when you when it follows a Lodestone Golem or another threat. And you have your own permanents. Especially, yeah. that's another contributing factor to the value of Revoker Sphere is that it puts additional permanents, permanents in play, play, which amplifies the power of your own Tango Wire. Yeah, without question. So, okay, we can eliminate the Tango Wire play, and that is, is, is inferior yeah. um, for a host of reasons. Um, yeah. So that, that means that what does the... So so the advantage of the Revoker Sphere play is that it beats... It's, it's stronger against the Force of Will. Yeah. It's more constricting. It's better against the Force of Will. But is there a reason... You lose the power of a, of a turn one Golem. Is that, can you recoup that on turn two? What do you oh. what do you do on turn two then? Sorry. Well, let's let's analyze the attack pattern. So, assuming you have only these two creatures for the whole game, and assuming they both resolve, yes, your turn one revoker is hitting for two on turn two. Their good points goes to eighteen. Then you play lodestone golem, for example. You're hitting for seven for the next ter- two turns. You still need three more turns of seven to kill them. Yeah. So you're still killing on turn five. If you play turn one lodestone. You're hitting for five on turn two, seven. and then you're hitting seven, seven, seven. You still also need the same number of turns to kill them in and the you abstract. You don't win on turn four. No, because you've turn only two, done nineteen. Five, turn three, seven. Turn four, seven. Yeah, that's you, fourteen. You're right. Well, I'm assuming they're going to do one damage themselves. Well, and that's the thing. If what's well, turn two, five, then seven, seven. That's that's nineteen. That's nineteen. Four, fourteen plus five is nineteen. Yeah. So. That's a very good point. Yeah. This is vintage. You have to assume that their next land drop is either City of Brass or a fetch land. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or there's going to be a Force of Will involved. But So yeah, the oh. so the Lodestone Golem play is a turn faster. Another thing that's a little bit subtle is that it gets you the value of revoking perhaps a better target. Yeah. If your opponent, if you play Lodestone and your opponent comes out on turn two with either Time Vault or Voltaic Key, for example, yes. they give you information and they make their power of your Revoker even stronger. Right. Because if they commit one half of that combo to the board and you can revoke either half of it, or if they play something explosive, then if if, if they have that Mana Crypt play mm-hmm. to power out something stronger, ma- uh, revoking that Mana Crypt is even better than revoking a, a Mox in general. Right. Uh, there are a number of ways of analyzing, of, of creating sort of like hypotheticals. What if this hand was different? For example, what if there was a chalice in the hand? Yeah. It would heavily weigh towards the, the golem. Oh, yeah. Would the the sphere being a thorn change your analysis much? Oh, yeah. The sphere being thorn would be awesome because you could, you could play thorn. With, you could lead with the thorn and I, play revoker after it, which is so much box. better. Is that so much better? I'm wondering. I, I don't think know. It, it is not... Because they have an untapped mox, it does not technically cut them off of, of, of force of will. Uh-huh. It is psychologically so much more powerful. <laughs> That's what I love about leading with Thorn and still having a follow-up creature, is that it's psychologically... they Your opponent thinking, well, I let that Thorn resolve, well, and now I've got this other threat to deal here's with. Here's the thing that I think is... So, so if we were to go turn one, Revoker, Sphere. Turn two, you're going to play Golem, probably. Right? Or you're gonna play what? I, I think you're playing. You're playing golem. <clears throat> I think you're playing golem because it effectively well, trades one for one with your opponent's prior land drop. And the, and but the, it depends on what they played. And the golem costs five because yeah. you've got a sphere in play, so you're using almost all your mana. You're not really wasting mana. You're using the shop, the and box, the t- and, and the, tomb. the tomb. Yeah. Um. And then the next turn you'll have tangle wire and you'll just win the game. What? 
I really think I'm, I'm beginning to think that the right play is Revoker Sphere. Yeah, I think that that play protects the turn two golem the best. That's right, it does. If they want to play any spells on their next turn, they're going to be tapping out basically. If they have another one drop, if they want to preordain or brainstorm again, for example, or do anything, they even their accelerants like what would normally be amazing against Lodestone, like a Soul Ring, for example. Now it costs two. It takes their whole turn, and right. they're tapped out, and they're not going to be able to force your Lodestone. If they, I think it comes down to this simple question. If they have a force of will in their opening hand and they force your golem, you're going to be so far behind. Yeah, you're right. So far behind. Whereas Because they can play a three drop on their next turn. It's they, so much better for them. Or they can play a, a one cast. They can play three one, one casting cost spells or a yeah. one and a two. That's right. Um, they could play Preordain into Bob. Yeah. So I think if you're being safe, <laughs> we, we've stumbled upon that if you want to be safe... Yeah. that I think the Sphere Revoker plan is probably a little safer. But I do want to analyze the the question, okay, so you go Revoker Sphere, they could force either one of those cards. Right. If, if they have the force. Okay, we're assuming they have force. And then turn two, they can still force your Golem. If they don't play any, a two-casting cost spell. If they don't play a spell. If either Revoker or Sphere resolves, either one, you've backed them down to playing a two-mana spell on turn two. If they tap out for Bob, for example, then... Right. Then it entirely matters as to which spell they forced. If they forced your Revoker and left Sphere in play, they they can't force on your next turn. Right. So it matters which one they left in play. What do you mean? Let's assume they, they let both resolve, the Revoker and the Sphere. Oh, well, then they can only play a one cast on their turn. Or, or they could just hold up the force for your Yeah, they could just play golem. Land Go. What if they do that? What do you do? Do you play the Golem there, or do you play Tanglewire? If they just play Land Go, it has a little bit to do with what I just drew, of course, but... It's a very tempting analysis to just play Tangle Wire there. Because. Yeah. But then that, that gets the whole question why not play Golem first, right? <laughs> I mean, because then you're well, keep delaying the. You're the... reacting to what they play, though, so it's, it becomes very highly contextual, mm-hmm. and you could have reads on them as their body language on their second turn, also. Well, I think we've exhausted this one. I mean, in I the sense that we can go forever, yeah. but this I think is, this we've is laid a great out. Scenario. Yeah. I, I like this one because it speaks to your assessment of the metagame. It speaks to your comfort with a matchup. You might know the player. You might know their tendencies. All kinds of things. It addresses come into play. basic approaches and workshop decks. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, these scenarios—they're going to kill us. <laughs> all right, let's go They're to the great. second one. And sure enough, the second one is actually two scenarios. <laughs> so we cheated here. This is two and three, really. And this comes down to a basic fundamental question in multiple scenarios. This is something we see saw over and over and over again, actually. This particular question. And this could be a follow-up, actually, to the first game, or the first turn scenario. And that is Phyrexian Revoker, you're a workshop player, do you revoke their Soul Ring or their Time Vault? Both of which are currently in play. Right. Let's set up a scenario. Your opponent has three islands and a Soul Ring and a Time Vault in play. And that's it. And that's it. That's all they've got. You have... A bunch of mana. You've got Telerian Academy, Ancient Tomb, Mox, a Chalice, a Sphere, and a Tangle Wire. So you're you're hurting their mana a little bit. And I don't remember, what was the wire on in this scenario? It was The wire was at 1 or 2 when this came up. So it wasn't locking me it down. It might have been a 3. It might have been. I don't remember at what point in the wire you had this choice. You're, the, the Tangle Wire has at least two counters on it, let's say. Mm-hmm. So the Soul Ring represents a significant jump in their ability to play additional spells. Maybe they could power out a Jace if you're yeah. not careful. Yeah. So do you revoke the Time Vault and respect the power of that threat? Because at any moment they could just lay a key and win. Yeah. Do you res- Or do you play the Soul Ring to try and tighten your grip and 
right. get more an advantage over this time. This is such a fundamental question, and it has to do with they're both. It's a strategic question. Absolutely. I mean, so are, do you want to deal with a remove a key strategic threat, or do you advance your key strategy of of, of reducing their access to mana? Exactly. And, and we're in the mid game here, so they've survived the initial onslaught, and you don't have a clock on them. So you know that the game is going to go for at least a handful more turns. You could still draw a Slash Panther and a Lodestone and end the game faster, but you don't have it right yet, right at the moment. If you play a Workshop Aggro decks featuring Phyrexian Revoker enough, you will encounter a scenario almost exactly like this one. Yes. Cut off resources for mana or hamper their strategic options, be it Time Vault or Jace or Tezzeret, something right. like that. Um. In now, that particular scenario, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't, I mean, now, this is one that came up in an actual game. I was piloting yeah. the blue deck. Steve was testing the cat stacks. I had this exact scenario in play. I had tapped down a couple of things on the prior mm-hmm. turn, so I was partially tapped. I mean, obviously, it, you, you the answer comes down to what other possible plays. Right. Um, and so you have to basically do a, like a run through the list and then weigh them against each other in some sort of you know virtually qualitative manner. Right. It's, 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 so it's like basically, what are their outs if they, you do this? What are their outs if they do that? In um, the game in question, I had played a preordain or two early on. We'd played somewhat of a draw-go game for a couple of turns at least. Tanglewire had already ticked down a turn or two. So I've had time to sculpt my hand. I've been drawing cards. I have not, I've missed a couple of land drops at this point in this game because it's not just turn three. This was turn four or five or six, I think. And... So the question is, after so much time has elapsed and you're playing against a blue deck, a heavily blue deck, and at this point you knew the matchup pretty well. We'd been playing this this matchup for a while, but you knew that I was a deck featuring Jace. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, assuming we're in a vintage tournament, your opponent's got multiple islands in play, you have to respect the fact that they probably have access to Jace in this list. Right. Did we have any other spheres in play? There was one sphere in play. Okay, so that's a reason, that cuts off Tinker. Because they've got three lands and Soul Ring. If you if you play, if you if you name Soul Ring, then you cut them off from being able to tinker for Blightsteel or the key. Right. Um, which is which is critical. That means right. you're cutting off a key strategic option even by using the Soul Ring as your revoker target. To play Demonic Tutor costs three, but they wouldn't be able to play Demonic Tutor and Voltaic Key. Mm-hmm. So you would at least have another turn. Um, you you super cut them off from Jays. I'm I'm really inclined to hit Soul Ring there. With the number of terms that had elapsed, and I think leading up to this point, I hadn't been playing spells every turn. I'd been tapping down to Tanglewire, so it's not yeah. like I had been digging with multiple preordains so or something. Holding a lot of spells. I've been mean, yeah. holding a lot of cards, but the point is, I also hadn't been playing things that would suggest a setup to Voltaic Key. Right. So I think that there's probably more context here than it just appears on what's in play. But if you get into the mid game like this. It's really, again, kind of comes down to how safe you want to be, just like the first scenario did. If you feel like you've got this game in the bag, you feel like you just need to tighten your grip a little bit more, then the Soul Ring is the clear choice. But if your opponent has done anything to suggest to you, if you've got any reads on them that they have easy access to Voltaic Key and they're just waiting for the point where they can get to, to cast it, then... You're not doing a bad thing by cutting off Time Vault, but don't be surprised also if you're, you do so and your opponent rips a land and plays Jace with their Soul Ring on the next <laughs> right. turn. <laughs> right. What would you play? I mean, what would you play? Would you name uh, Soul Ring or Time I Vault? I think in this case, some turns had elapsed. I 
I personally knew I was gearing up for Jason this particular game. So, um, and so I think the Sol Ring is the more potent target. It yeah. answers more of the possible outcomes. You definitely have to respect Time Vault. Though. You have I to mean, respect the Time Vault. There's certainly a possibility they can just win. Yeah. But it seems to me it's even more likely they'll win if they get they use that Sol Ring unhampered. It, it gives them access to so many more lines of play between right. Jace or Tezzeret or Tinker. You, you reduce their options, but you give them clear outs, but you... You know, but fewer of them total. That's right. What's the other... We have another scenario. You had an alternate scenario where your opponent had less mana. Your opponent has Island, Mox, Soul Ring, Time Vault. So there's fewer (laughs) resources. And you have Sphere, Sphere, Chalice in play. Wow. And you're making a choice about what to... Now, (sighs) since we just concluded that Soul Ring is probably the superior answer when they had more mana, Mm -hmm. this scenario where they have even less is... I don't know, it would seem obvious to me after our prior discussion that <laughs> yeah. you just go for the soul ring and go for the throat in this scenario. Yeah. With you revoking a soul ring, they only have island mox. They couldn't even the, play the it. The key if they had it. How many turns is it going to take them to be able to find the key? And that's Revoker is not a clock. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. I think the key difference in this scenario is it was much earlier in the game. Right, but even the other one, I mean, you name soul ring, you're basically banking on your ability to continue to apply pressure. Which is how the workshop decks are built. Basically, yes, every non every non land threat does tighten your your grip in that scenario. Right. So, in my opinion, given the conversation we had on the prior example, that Soul Ring is even more clearly the best answer when your opponent is tight on mana. That Soul Ring represents fifty percent of their mana production. So, I think we can go on to our yeah. next scenario. But if you if you come across our, our listeners, if you come across a scenario. Uh, like this, send it to us, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll take a look at it. Yeah. We'll, love, we'll just love to hear from you. G- give us give us a lay of how the game has gone to the point you're in question. Give us what was on the board. Give us yeah. your thoughts about what decision you made and why you made it. Yeah. And we'd love to discuss those kind of things. We debate these kind of things all the time off, <laughs> yeah. the, off the air. So the next scenario that is... Lens. That's right. <laughs> you know how we are. The next scenario involves you running an oath deck. And oh, your opponent oh, by is well, we didn't workshops. tell them what deck that it was in scenario one. Oh, that's right. That's <laughs> right. So your opponent who played Island Preordain Mox Ruby, what were they really playing? They were playing Oath. They They're... were playing a Tyrant Oath deck. So. And so the notion of cutting them off of even two casting cost spells is key. Yeah. You play Lodestone Golem on your first turn, and they go Orchard Oath, or anything Oath, any land Oath. They go Tropical Island Oath, and you're going to be very the, unhappy. That, the analysis, that's a perfect example where the analysis runs counter to the intuition. Yeah. I, th- I, I think that the right play now is Revoker Sphere. But. Well, but it, I think if you know their Oath, then the correct play is definitely Revoker Sphere, though. Right. <laughs> so, because you, you keep them off of playing Oath on that next turn. Right. And you have the chance, you have to have some good peels, and they have to not have anything explosive, but you have a chance of keeping them off of a two-casting cost spell for every turn of the game. That's right. It Amazing. really depends on what your second and third turn draws are. If you draw Wasteland you in there, wire. you're I mean, you're, Your next turn is going to be Golem and then Wire. That's right. You've got them on a the clock, but they're going to have a window. Yes. If they draw another mox, if they draw well, the question always where is that that window going to be, and and how do you want to manage that window? That's one of the things with workshops is they always have a window to break out. I mean, no matter the window can be the force of will on turn one. Sure. The question is how do you minimize that window? How do you manage that window? Right. Which one's most likely? Which one's going to be most devastating? Which one can you yeah. shore up with a, a subsequent play? Though all three of those questions are critical. Yeah. All three. Not just one. One of those, but all three. Well, let's talk about another one that yeah. kind of involves a workshop window. You're playing oath. Your board is Island Misty Rainforest. Your opponent, playing workshops, has Ancient Tomb. They just tapped their Wasteland. It's tapped. They have a Chalice and a Revoker in play. 
What's the revoker naming? I think in this scenario it was naming a mox that you've got in play two. I don't know. I don't remember this. Keep well, going. anyway, I think you've got a mox that the revoker was, which is why we didn't list it. But the key question here is they play Crucible of Worlds. You're playing Oath. They have Workshop I thought and we Wasteland on the table. You, you thought we were going to skip this one? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Hold on a sec. Steve, you're right. We're not going to cover this one at all. You're playing Oath. Your opponent, Workshop player, puts Crucible of Worlds on the stack and they have a tapped Wasteland in play. <laughs> Do you counter it? And we're just going to leave it at that. You're playing Oath and they have Crucible. And they, and they have Wasteland God, on the board. That's hard. Yeah. Don't say anything. <laughs> All right. We'll skip this one and let our, our listeners give us their feedback on that okay. one. Here's one that speaks to the popularity and, gr- and growing relevance of cat stacks and relevant to the Bob Jace matchup. You are playing Bob Jace, and you had an odd start whereby on turn two you play Dark Confidant, but you still only have one land in play. Your board is Dark Confidant, Underground Sea, Mox Emerald, Soul Ring. And you just played your Dark Confidant. And that's in turn one? No, it's turn two. Okay. That's why I say it was an odd start. So you haven't drawn another land. That's right. You, have, you didn't draw another land. Your hand is filled with business, though. You've got another Dark Confidant. You've got a Disenchant. Two Jaces and a Yawgmoth Disenchant? Will. I know. It was, a, it was an experimental right. sideboard game. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, don't don't okay, focus okay, on okay, the Disenchant. Okay, okay, yeah. It could be Ancient Grudge or, or something. Nature's or Nature's Claim. Yeah. Claim. It's, it's, it's a Disenchant effect. All right. It's but Nature's Claim. It's Nature's Claim. But the point is, on their second turn, your opponent plays Wasteland on your C, you have no lands in play now, and they play Slash Panther and attack you. What do they play the Slash Panther with? They have other, this is their second turn, they have other mana sources. Um, they play Slash Panther, they waste your land, and they attack. The question right. is, do you chump block, not chump block, do you block and trade with that Slash Panther on this turn? Do you play turn, turn one Bob or turn two Bob? Turn two Bob. And you haven't drawn a card with it yet? No. It ju- you just cast it. Your opponent wasted your land. You have Bob Emerald Soul Ring. What's no mana life? sources in plan in hand. Your life is either nineteen or twenty. I forget if I fetched or not. What it, oh, okay. Um, and you have you have no force of will. You have your hand is Dark Confidant, Nature's Claim, Slash Disenchant, two Jaces, and a Yawgmoth's Will. You have no okay. mana sources and no other spells you can play. Well, it seems to me this is a there's a one key issue here. Right. And there's a, a second subsidiary issue, but the key issue is. How are you going to not lose this game? <laughs> and the most important, and that's not the issue, but the issue is basically how can you develop your mana? And that's, you need to be able, you need mana to, to be able to play spells. You have good part. spells you could play if you can only find right. mana. So if you do not draw mana for the next couple turns, you will lose no matter what. Right. Um, and Bob probably dramatically increases your ability to find relevant mana. Absolutely it does. So if you lose the Bob, you dramatically decrease your ability to not lose the game. You're twice as likely to not find the land you need the next turn. And therefore lose. <laughs> and therefore lose. So I think the, the life loss is much less important than finding the land, the mana that you need. Yeah. And that's the priority, is finding the mana. You can suffer a couple hits with the, the, the Slash Panther, and in fact trade the following turn, or the turn after. So to me... The clear priority is you cannot win this game. You you might lose to the Slash Panther, but you're guaranteed to <laughs> lose to Slash Panther or another card if you don't find land, I think. Yeah. Well, and I agree with you. I reached that same conclusion. I thought I can probably suck up one or two hits from this Panther and get enough value out of this Bob to claw back into the game. All I really need is to get one colored mana source of either the Dark Confidant or the Nature's Claim color. And I'm back in business. Bingo. There are a lot of players, I think, who would 
maybe make a snap judgment here. And, and, oh and, no, I can't lose life. And maybe overvalue the the Slash Panther in this case, and and be and just look at the the land the mana sources they've got, and say I'm likely to draw into more in time. Life is a resource to be used aggressively in Vintage. Yep, it is basically there like your mana is there. You've said it's, specifically it's, about Bob before. You are paying this life for the for the benefit of not having to pay mana to draw those cards. <laughs> very emphatically in the yes, previous podcast. That's right. Yes. You were very, very firm on that topic. So I agree with you. And in the scenario where I was testing this particular game, which wasn't with you, but I was testing that this did come up, I reached the same conclusion. I left Bob in play for that well, turn. I left him in play for one more turn, yeah. and I drew enough mana. I'm I drew trying to figure a mana source to play my second Bob, at which point I did trade with the Panther. I'm trying to figure out the... the the pithiest way of describing the issue, but it's basically like, how do you, you know, you will lose, you're, 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 there's a good chance you'll lose to Slash Panther. You're almost guaranteed to lose if you don't get in mana, though. So yeah. the mana's clearly the priority. Exactly. Not, I the, agree. not the life, not protection of life. Yeah. Boy, all of our examples involve workshops today. I didn't realize that all of them did. Let's move on to our last scenario. This is a hilarious one. This actually came up. This is not a manufactured example. I was playing the Cat Stacks Mirror, and I'm on the play. And this is and game. You, you realize a, a huge portion of our listeners are going to be laughing, thinking like, <laughs> "Why are you guys playing terrible decks?" <laughs> I actually saw. I think Andy Probasco said something like, "Cat stacks." That sounds terrible. Well, so I mean, again, there are a lot of players out there who think that the idea is terrible and the workshops are just bad. Ask, keep that in mind. Ask the three cat stacks players who were in the top eight of that event we talked about earlier. <laughs> yeah. and they, I don't know that it happened, but they must have played a mirror match at some point. Right. You would think. Anyway. I fanned open I think his you hand. missed my point, though. I think people no, are thinking workshops are bad. and yeah. They are not. Yeah. <laughs> I fanned open a hand that had three Phyrexian Revokers. This is turn one on the play. On the play, and this is critical. Three Phyrexian Revokers, Sphere of Resistance, Phyrexian Metamorph. Wait, 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 wait. One more time. <laughs> three Revokers. Yes. Sphere of Resistance. Yes. Metamorph. Workshop Lotus. <sighs> <laughs> So, clearly, the first thing I note is that I have six mana on turn one. I could play three of... Bizarre, I could play three Revokers. I could play two Revokers and a Sphere. I could play some part of either of those. I could play... You're on the play? I'm on the play. And you're in the the mirror. The mirror. Oh, my God. So, this requires you, I think, first and foremost, to understand the position of Phyrexian Revoker in the the workshop mirror. So, I think, you know... We can apply my standard approach, which is evaluate line, identify all the lines of play, starting right. from what's possible, right. and then evaluate them against each other. But I think there's a prior question that has to be answered, which is, what are your possible... You need to identify your possible targets with, with Revoker. Right. And you, you basically need to list them now. My experience from that matchup tells me that... And my opponent, I knew in this particular case, but you might not, but I knew in this particular case that my opponent was not playing six casting cost creatures at all. He was not playing Karn okay. or Trike or Steel Hellkite. Well, Karn Those... ha- happens to cost five. Oh, sorry, you're right. But he wasn't playing any of the big guys, right. all of which are juicy targets for Revoker. Yes. So Phyrexian Revoker was almost entirely relegated to targeting mana sources in, in our matchups, yes. at which point the best three choices are Black Lotus, Soul Ring. Soul Ring, and Mana Crypt. Yes. And he also happened to have Mana Vault, which is an interesting, yes. uh, interesting diversion. So really those four, if you know he's got it, are the, the, the things you name in the dark in this particular matchup. Yes. So then the question becomes, how much value do you get out of naming one of well, those four in the dark? Well, there, there are a number of things that I think matter. First of all, if you play a bunch of Revokers on turn one, you get 
damage on the board. That's six damage. That's six damage on turn two. Yeah. That's non-trivial. That's right. And, and if then you play and all three of those... <laughs> and then the Metamorph the next turn. If you play yeah. all three of those Revokers, which you could do, you get to name three out of the four artifacts. I'm really scared played. of that, that, that hand. I'm afraid you just get Wastelanded and you're toast. Well, if you've played three so, Revokers, you're not exactly toast. Right, but if, what if you play Sphere and two Revokers? Then, see, that that's this is the thing. Yeah. This is really interesting because... This is actually a very interesting hand. I agree more with things why it's on the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting... For a number of reasons, but one of the reasons I, I think it's interesting is because you are faced with risks for, the, for your plays and the the advantages of, you know, the advantage of revoking mana sources is that you begin to deny them mana sources, which would suggest play Sphere. Yeah. But the overall strength of the hand, which is the damage, suggests that you don't play the Sphere. So, I mean, what happens if they go turn one Lodestone Golem? Right. You know, I had quickly identified their potential turn one lodestone golem as the biggest, biggest threat, threat to this hand. Right, but you have <laughs> a number of ways you, of preventing it. You right. have you can pre- actively prevent it with sphere resistance. You, can, you also have your own metamorph. Yes. So, so if they get golem, you get golem. Right. If you don't play sphere resistance, this scenario basically raises huge heuristic approaches. You know, oh, what yeah. are the heuristics of vintage? You know, what what are the rules of thumb that you use to try and approach a, an opening hand or a game, and how do you risk and balance them? I, this is a mess of a hand. It really <laughs> is. There are so many. This has probably more options than any other hand you could manufacture in a workshop deck. Realistically, because Revoker let me try and walk through. Revoker it. represents one play that actually forks into multiple plays exactly. by itself, which is hilarious. Yes. So I'm going to play Workshop Black Lotus, okay? Almost without a doubt you're going to make there's, that there's, play. There, yeah. The, the only way you wouldn't make that play is if you assumed your opponent was going to go Workshop Tanglewire. That's the only <laughs> way that you would not play your Lotus on turn one. It's relevant, don't get I me wrong. I would still play it if they went Tanglewire. Well, it depends on what else you're going to play also. Right. So but I would, you're right, you're right. You, 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 if, oh, because there's a chance that you might want to... You might want to play just Workshop Revoker Go if you had them, what? <laughs> if, if you had them on Tanglewire. That's gotcha. the thing. Okay. If you assume they're on Tanglewire, that actually makes Workshop Revoker Go a pretty relevant play. Okay. But that's I'm not going to assume that because it's a, a weak follow-up on their part and a weak opening on yours. So let's identify, again, let's go to the, the first thing I said at the very beginning. Let's identify all the possible names. <laughs> The card you're gonna name. You're not gonna name Steel Hellkite no matter what, probably because even if they had it, in their even deck, if they had it in their hand, you, when they, all the other plays are better. The, one of the things that would be at the top of my list to name is Metalworker. That's a very good point, but I knew it was the Cat Stacks Mirror. Okay, so, so you know they don't have Metalworker. Yeah. Fine. The top of my list is probably going to be what is the advantage of naming Black Lotus over Soul Ring? Soul Ring is Soul Ring stronger? The answer to that question interacts with whether or not you're playing Sphere on the first turn. If you're playing Sphere on the first turn, it's better, it's better to name their Black Lotus. can't isolate anything. Right, we gotta, all right, so let me just, let's just identify all the possible lines of play. Sand naming. Okay, <laughs> okay. so let's do this first. Okay, we know we're going to do Workshop Lotus. That's in every single line of play. I think so. The first is Revoker, Revoker, Revoker. Well, the first is Revoker, go. The second <laughs> is Revoker, Revoker, go. The Which third is, is Revoker, 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 go. <laughs> the fourth is Revoker, Metamorph. Which is inferior to Revoker, Revoker. And Revoker, inferior to Revoker Sphere, I think. Right. But And the last is Revoker... Revoker Sphere. Revoker, Revoker Sphere. Of course there is Revoker Sphere or just Sphere. Yeah. Is there, I don't think... There's any, no, I don't think there's any so we can case, eliminate... I'm eliminating the... Infer- there's like basically ten different... The, just one comment. 
I think there also is a case for Workshop, Lotus, Sphere, Go. Because, because you, you can get, respond. Because you get maximal value out of all your revokers. Because with the See? Sphere, yeah. they're going to have to pay mana to commit mana sources to the board, which aren't, unless they're of the five we listed, they're not going to give them actual acceleration. Okay. So you can respond to almost any one of their plays. Let me let me write that write these down. <laughs> so the first thing... I have them written here in the document. No, I, I want to do it myself. So okay. I can, so the first play, I just want to go. I just want to actually see how many. Assuming we're doing shop Lotus, yeah. The the first possibility is revoker go. The second is two revokers. Revoker times two. The third is three revoker. Yep. The fourth is revoker sphere. Revoker times two, then sphere. I was gonna say revoker times one, then sphere. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Revoker times one, then sphere. Then revoker times two, then sphere. Yep. The sixth is um, revoker <laughs> metamorph. Right. The seventh is uh, just just sphere. Just sphere. Yep. Is that it? Um, let me see. What have I got here? Revoker, 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 sphere, revoker, sphere. Yeah, I think you've got. That's all only of seven them. options. I think I only listed seven because one of mine was all question marks. Okay, so there's seven. Oh pos- wait, sphere metamorph. Oh, that's right. you can go. You can go wow, <laughs> that didn't even occur to me. That's right. That you can is, double sphere them with so three revokers in that's hand. That's fascinating. Except See, you only you know except what? with double sphere, you've only got workshop. You can't cast any revokers on the next turn. <laughs> so I don't think that play is. You <laughs> right, have to draw a mana source. But again, for that play to this work. goes to the value of listing out every single possible. It sure play. does. It sure does. Okay, so but every one of those revoker plays branches into several other I possible know, plays of what you this name. This is a mind-boggling. Like, I would look at this opening hand, and I would sit there and be get time-called. Like, <laughs> I'd have a right. judge on me. Oh, this is really interesting. Um, okay, so... Which ones are Let's, let's eliminate, yeah. yeah. I, think I think the last one. The last one, Sphere Metamorph, is, is eliminated because... It cuts why? you off. It cuts you off of everything you play, and it totally pones you if they play Wasteland. There are so many plays they have that just destroy you after that. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about what plays they have that can destroy you. They, clearly, Wasteland is a huge threat. Yeah. Given some of the scenarios. They're not going to Wasteland you if you go Revoker times three. That's right. terrible. <laughs> if but they, if you go Sphere of Metamorph, they're going to Wasteland you and laugh. Yeah. If they just go Workshop, Mox, Mox, you're really not going to like your Double Sphere oh, play. Oh, God. Yeah. Because if you, if you draw a mana source, you can cut off one of their moxes, but they still come out ahead in that. Play. Right. So let's eliminate that. Yeah. Um, we can and obviously the, the eliminate... Ba- the really basic ones suck, too. The just, just one revoker, revoker go is re- awful. I think we can... Re- I mean, one revoker is just... The only advantage of playing revoker go is that you don't commit your other revokers and you don't have to use your lotus. You keep your lotus. You You're keep right. your lotus. So there's there is some a reason. Value. There's some merit there. It's not strictly inferior to... But it's also... The, the least disruptive play you can possibly make. It's the make. least disruptive. It's yeah. For tempo reasons, it's terrible. So right. I, I think we can eliminate that. It doesn't play into the strength of your hand either, which is the, the high density of creatures and the high density of disruption. Right. That leaves six options left. Let's So the, the Revoker Metamorph we can also eliminate, right? Because you want to keep... Yes, you want to keep the Metamorph, I think. Well... Because it's the most flexible. It can be a Revoker, it can be a Sphere, and it can be a whatever they play. I think you have to keep that. You have to assume that if the game goes more than two turns, we're, you're going to draw a mana source. I, I'm not sure we can eliminate that just yet. But let us let me ask you this. Is there any reason to play two spells and not three? No, I was going to say that the two Rex Revoker and nothing else play is also not going not an option. So There's no way you wouldn't play the third We can eliminate the all the options where you play two spells instead of three. That is where you were, you're playing two, right? You can eliminate. We no, can, but the, we can el- you, the, the Revoker Metamorph play is a two-spell play that you right, didn't I'm, want to eliminate. Sorry. Um, you mean only two of revokers or spheres? You wouldn't we can, play just I think two we, of them. I think we can. Yeah, as between uh, not counting metamorph, 
we can eliminate any play where you just play two. As between the three Evokers and the Sphere, we can eliminate any play that plays two but not three of them. Because I believe it's a waste, so. Because it's a waste of mana. I believe so, yes. It's just a complete waste of mana. But only reason... The only reason is if you end with Sphere, you're cutting yourself off of Metamorph next turn without another mana source. There's another reason, which is that you might want them to... You want them to save a Revoker so you can name their first mana force. Well, that, play. to me, that points to Revoker, Revoker, Sphere being being one option. Okay, so... Or a, 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 the, the point a though is runner. we can eliminate two two spells. You're not going to just go Revoker, Revoker, go. Right, so we can eliminate that. Yep. And you're not going to go Revoker, Revoker Sphere, go. go. That's right. Okay, so where is that? That's here. Okay, yeah. so that leaves us with four options. Three, all three Revokers. Revokers Revoker, 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 Revoker sphere, sphere. Revoker, Metamorph, and then just sphere, two Sphere. Or just two Sphere. Just two Sphere, right. Um, I don't think there's any way you would go just two sphere either in the long run. God, with, I don't know. That seems... With three revokers in your hand, what could they do? The thing is, with the value of revokers of, of sphere go is that it lets you on turn two play double meta or double revoker. revoker. Depending on what naming, they play. if they play like two moxen, then you cut them off a lot. What can they do if you just go sphere? They can't play golem. No, they're going to go. Well, in. they can they're... play golem if they have <laughs> if they have mana crypt. Lotus. No, wait. Yeah. Mana Crypt doesn't do How it. How are they going to play Just Lotus. Play Just Lotus does it. What if they go Workshop, Lotus? Workshop, Lotus, Golem is the only thing that gets them to five mana. That's the only. So if they have Lotus, that's the only way they can well, play they can Golem. Well, they could go Workshop, Mana Vault. Mana, mana Vault's only Crypt. plus one mana. Mana Crypt. Golem. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> if they had two of the other ones, <laughs> they could play. Yeah. <laughs> but if they make that play and you leave and but, you leave Metamorph in your hand, I think that works out well for you. Right, so if you go Sphere, they can't, they're not going to be able to play Golem. The worst thing they can do is Wasteland your shop. Mm-hmm. And that's you'll right. be left with just Lotus. That's right. And that's a high probability event. It is. So I think we can basically, I'm going to bracket that, but I'm basically eliminate that. Because one of, the, again, one of the key things here is Wasteland. Also, again, that play does not take advantage of the advantage you have with this hand, which is to get guys, multiple guys exactly. on the board and th- and disrupt them. But there is merit to it. There is there is a scenario. If they don't have wasteland. If they don't have wasteland or a strip mine, and they have a high casting cost hand, they all have all three drops. If they have a hand that's like well, wire, okay. crucible, so golem, the, the golem. The reason or you d- the reason you don't do it is wasteland strip mine. The reason you do do it is because you want them to deploy their mana sources to try and evade this fear. With which you respond with 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 revokers. Because all things being equal, they are more likely to have moxen than other better exactly. mana sources and so what, committing multiple moxen. Let's go through that all all the way through that. Let's say they go, you know, shop mox mox. Yeah. Then next turn you play double revoker. Yeah. They still have a shop and they can play ancient tomb and play spells next turn. Yeah. You right. haven't really done much. That's right. And so the benefit is meaningful but not terribly great, and the risk is tremendously high. Yeah. So I I think it's something that you if you didn't think about it shame on you and you need to be better with shops <laughs> but if you did think about it and you came to the, i think you you should come to this conclusion but right. but you, the, the, again this is sort of like one of those you know like college exams it's not what your answer is it's how you arrive at the, the answer <laughs> show your work yeah really, you know it's like you know it's it, it, it's like the law school exam that's exactly what it is it's like it's not how did you come out what's your conclusion but what's your analysis so we're down to three so basic leftovers that. we've got right. triple revoker Two Revoker. Revokers in Sphere or Revoker Metamorph. And I think Revoker Metamorph is pretty obviously inferior to just playing two Revokers. Yeah, absolutely. And so, we've already ruled out that the, just playing two out of three things is inferior. It's a anyway. waste of mana, so we can eliminate that. So Six all is, is inferior to th- to, uh, to one we've already eliminated. Yeah, it is. So revoker, Revoker. So, so we we're left with that. the three two-drops play. And the only yeah. question then is do you finish with the third Revoker or the Sphere? 
Um, right. And my conclusion was, at the time, that it's maximally disruptive and leaving you options to go Revoker, Revoker, Sphere. Triple Revoker in the dark, you don't get a lot of benefit from the third Revoker. <laughs> you do, though. You let, Let's look at the clock. Oh, from a time standpoint, that's right. There's some value two, there. You win in three turns. Okay, I'll buy that. I'll give that. There's four a, ancient there is a significant and difference between four and six damage. <laughs> but going triple revoker, you That's have a chance damage. of not slowing them down in so, any way. So turn two, they'll be at 14. Turn three, they'll be at eight. Now turn four, they'll be at two. Right, but what Assuming they, they haven't used an ancient tomb, you'll, you'll basically, that play is a very strong constraint because they cannot play a mana crypt and they cannot play a, an ancient tomb and use it. Except you're assuming that whereas, you're just going to get in for damage every turn. Whereas if you whereas, go this way, yeah, I understand. Whereas Hold most, on. Let me just, most plays they have. Well, let's, we'll evaluate every contingency, but okay. let's first walk through this. So if you just play, if you play Revoker, Revoker, Sphere, then turn two, they're at 16. Turn three, they're at 12. Uh, no, turn three, they're at 10. You played another oh, Revoker sorry, the next right. turn. That, they go 16, 10, 4, dead. Or I actually forgot there's actually a Metamorph in here, too. Yeah. So... They could actually be dead on turn three if you can play Metamorph on turn three, turn two. They if you top deck a land and you can play Metamorph... Well, if you, don't, if be, you play Triple Revoker, sorry. you don't need a land to play Metamorph on turn two because you haven't played your Oh, you're right. So the damage is, is the same. Wait a second. So they go from 16 to 10 to 2. If you go Revoker, Revoker, Sphere... They go 16, 10, 4. 4. Right. And then turn 5, die. Yeah. If But if... Uh, in the first scenario... The, they go... You they go, go to 14, 14 then you but, play another... But if you, you, have to, you have to top deck a land on turn two. They go 14, 6, dead. You don't have to top deck a land. Metamorph only costs three. You play them off the shop. Are we not going to be playing Sphere, then? Not on turn two, if you want yeah, to play Metamorph play. on turn two. So they go they go 14, 6, dead. Right? Yes. 6, dead. Um, no, 14, 8, dead. 14, 8, dead. <laughs> right. So, so it's a turn, it's a turn faster. It is two turns faster. No, it's it's, it's one, one turn, turn faster. faster. But it also constrains them from being able to use play. You know what? I wouldn't even name. I'm not sure if I'd name Mana Crypt. You kind of want them to play it. I mean, that's an interesting question. Uh, would you name it? Except, but I, I think both of these examples. Why, why would you name Mana if they if they if they have Mana Crypt? You want them to play it. In you, yeah, it. I see your point there. But both these examples, I think, are a little too academic because it assumes they do nothing to disrupt you. I understand. Well, we need, <laughs> to, we need, to, all we their need plays to figure out the, the best possible case scenario and then move backwards. Okay. Then we'll develop contingencies based on But upon almost it. every card they can put onto the stack... Is going to slow. Is going to try... Not just slow, but prevent this victory. Right. If they play a Lodestone Golem, just one Lodestone Golem, you don't win this game anymore with this scenario because they block one, they block one, they block one, and you have no more guys. Well, you're going to met- you're going to metamorph the Golem. Okay. And then you're going to attack. So let's assume they play Golem. You play Triple Revoker and they play Golem. Right. On the next turn, you attack in. They block one. What are they going to block? Revoker? There's only three Revokers in play that you're attacking with. Oh, that's right. So they block one, so they they go to 16. They go to 16. You play a Metamorph on their Lodestone. And then then you attack... Next turn you attack again. They block your lodestone. I no. They they block they, a revoker. They block a revoker. Take seven. Go to nine. Right. The next turn they block a revoker again. Take five. Go to four. And now you're just lodestone and versus you trade. lodestone. And they trade. Yeah. You, 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 so you, if they play a lodestone, you don't it get to win. Everything you do. Yeah. Well, you get them down to four life. That's not good enough. But it's not and good you, enough. You basically have to just attack with the the metamorph. Yeah. 
Right. And then try and trade, and then... Yeah. But, That's right. But you, there's you're right. Ha- what? You do still win that game if you slow play then at that point. You just start swinging with your lodestone. Wow. Then they have a tough call to make, because if they trade the first time, <laughs> then then they're on a... Then they're facing a six damage a turn. Then they're on a four-turn clock after that trade. It's four turns later, so that's turn six that they die. All right, well, what if they don't have a golem? If they they do have a golem, then it seems to me that Revoker, Revoker, Sphere is the better play. If they do have a golem, you're right. Is that correct, though? Because you can't play Metamorph, then. Well, you could if you draw a mana source. And less than half your deck is mana source, so... What's is that? Is that true? That it's better better play Revoker, Revoker, Sphere if they have a Golem. You're putting it off for a turn. Let's say you're putting it off for a turn. But if you play Revoker, Revoker, Sphere, the only way they're going to have Golem. Well, I'm assuming you're not able to name something they're going to play the the Golem with. Oh, there's a good right. chance you can. Well, but if, by playing the Sphere though, you're increasing the likelihood that they're going to have to commit a mana source to the board that they need. Then so you're if next commit, Revoker. You revoke that mana source. Gotcha. But if they have a third, if they have like a Workshop Ancient Tomb. Mox kind of draw, then they're still just going to get to play the golem a turn later, and you probably wow. still lose. I'm really concerned about. What if they have a wasteland? They're not going to wasteland you on turn one. I'm leaning towards Revoker, Revoker Sphere. Well, that was my conclusion. I thought it really. Yeah, it, it was. I thought it met the most criteria for disrupting them and being resilient to their plays. It slows. They can't with a sphere on play. They can't play anything maximally threatening. But if you can hit the right target, well, that's you the thing. Can really, hurt it, them with the sphere though. You can you could almost rule out would any relevant plays. Lotus? Yeah, I did name Black Lotus. Okay, I named the Black Lotus, and then I think I named Soul Ring to cut them off of the best possible long game I play. That, also, I would. I'm not sure I'd name Soul Ring. Well, but the thing about Soul Ring is it, I kept the Revoker well, in my hand, so if they had it, I could follow up with if Soul Ring. If you go Revoker, 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 what are we naming? Let's answer that question. I would name Black Lotus, Soul Assuming Ring. Assuming they don't have metal workers. I yeah. would name Black Lotus, Soul Ring, Mana Vault, probably. For the reason that you mentioned about wanting yeah. them to play their Mana Crypt, if they had it. What if you just named three Moxen? It's all crapshoot. You're equally yeah. likely to hit any one of them, so you might as yeah. well name the best ones. Okay. Well, I'm just... Okay. It's not like you can name Mox and catch any fire. Yeah. No, the point is is that it's it's equal likelihood that they have any one of those cards, so you name the most potent sure. ones. Okay, I, I would I would go that route as yeah. well. But you leave them with five Mox and they'd still be able to play a, a, a golem. That's not except good. that they don't get to play the golem with that Mox. And if you go revoke or revoke or sphere, they have to commit the Mox to the board, then you revoke it. So you give yourself flexibility. I think the marginal utility of the third revoker is great in terms of damage if they don't play more blockers, mm-hmm. but it's very low in terms of mana denial capacity. But the sphere, so the, mar- the marginal utility of the third revoker is low in terms of mana denial capacity. It is, but the presence of the sphere is high, though. That's the yes. point. It's not so much about, I don't like the third revoker, it's that the sphere is so much better than the third revoker. I'm really just concerned about getting wastelanded. The sphere is a... The sphere is a... Well, but the revoker-revoker sphere play makes their wasteland also a risky play. Not on turn one. Their wasteland on turn two or three is going to annihilate you, though. They can play something on turn one. The worst case scenario... What can they play on turn one that makes their turn two wasteland really good? Golem. They they can't play golem if you go revoker-revoker sphere. Oh, gotcha. Right. Yeah. You're cutting them off of the golem play with double revoker sphere. You can make it mathematically impossible for them to make that play. <laughs> that, you see my point? Revoker, revoker sphere means well, we there did, won't be a golem or a slash panther on turn one. But you can make it mathematically impossible by naming, by Lot- naming Black Lotus, Lotus and, and Mana Vault. And Mana Vault. Yes. 
Because even 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 Lotus Workshop because Mana, Mana Crypt, Crypt by itself do it. doesn't get you there, right? Yeah, they have to have either Lotus or Mana Vault right. and Mana Crypt to get the yeah, mathematically impossible, which, awesome. we, which we agree to. So the point is, you, you eliminate completely the idea of a Golem or a Slash Panther on turn one, which leaves them with their own Revokers and Tangle Wires and Crucibles, even if they do have great mana. What's right. what's far more likely is that they go Land Mox Smox Go. And then you still have a revoker in hand to name. You revoke yeah. one of their two mocks, and then their follow-up wasteland well, on the next turn is not so hot anymore. Right. All right. I'm with you. Revoker, revoker, sphere. Seems yeah. like the play. That's complicated analysis. <laughs> very, very complicated. <laughs> and you, the sort of thing that's almost impossible to prepare for that kind of scenario. Or to analyze quickly and, and I mean, to right. that depth in, in, in the, a lot of time. And the, th- and the reason Without I was able clocks. to reach that conclusion in a relatively... I mean, I said I had to tank on it for a couple of minutes. But the reason I was able to reach that conclusion relatively quickly in context is because we had played about a dozen games up to that point. <laughs> and I had seen key plays like Revoker on Lotus and Revoker on Soul Ring <laughs> and Revoker on Mana And how they play out? Were they a backbone? They were the right play almost every time. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It was the cat stacks mirror. So all Revoker does it's is hilarious. cut off. It's funny, though, that you say they were the right play every time. It's like, of course, I'm clairvoyant. No. no, but that's the point. It's it goes experience. To developed intuition. Yeah, yeah. well, experience in that particular analysis. matchups had told me. But that was just a one example of understanding a matchup, whereas revoking Jace is almost always the right play sure. in, in many that, of the Bob-Jace matchups, right. regardless of what mana they've got. Right. So that's why we have these scenarios. I want to hear I'm from I'm still our, not 100% certain about that, well, but I'm leaning toward it. I like this one a lot. In addition to yeah. the one we mentioned earlier, I want to hear our listeners' feedback on how they would handle this particular triple revoker possibility on turn one. We're going to come back from Gen Con with so many interesting... (sighs) (laughs) I know. We need to take copious notes. It's going to be incredible. So, any any more feedback on uh, these scenarios? We're going to do this kind of segment repeatedly, I think, over the life of this show. Definitely. So, send us your scenarios, and we'll continue to develop them. I think, you know, we can't do the kind of detailed in-game analysis that we could do you know, and I could do it in an article, but, but these things are very well suited to this kind of format. Yeah, so. a couple of cards and a million options. <laughs> <laughs> All right, again, tweet us many in, at many insane plays, or send us your feedback in email form. Which this is a good email question. Vintage I know. is awesome. <laughs> so many insane plays podcast. There are so many insane plays with this hand. That's exactly. It's right. ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I can play triple revoker on turn one. If that doesn't count as constituted an insane play, I don't. Know I what do want to ask this: What what would you do if you're playing against a control deck? Oh man, I would definitely want to get the threats out there. Their turn one play is not going to be nearly... The, the sphere is way undervalued... In, or, sorry, not way undervalued. Uh, diminished in value compared to getting the threats on the board, in my opinion. I what, I would be so be happy... Would you to just go sphere go? No. No? If no, I know no, I'm no. playing against Bob... Bob uh, Control, Bob yeah. Jace, I really want to just go Revoker. Does it resolve? Yes. Black Lotus. Revoker, does it resolve? Yes. Jace. Revoker, does it resolve? Yes. Time Vault. <laughs> I, I would, in a heartbeat, I would revoke Lotus, Jace, Time Vault in that matchup. Wow. It would be so fun. Then you just lose the Tinker. But this draw <laughs> loses the Tinker. No, wait, this draw has Metamorph. Oh, right. Because Metamorph. <laughs> this draw doesn't insane. lose the Tinker. Unreal. Okay, anyway, let's uh, wrap up this segment. All right. Get to we'll go on to some listener feedback. Another whopper of a show coming yeah. to a close. Let's talk about listener feedback, though, to last week's closing question about ranking the top five auto-include cards for workshop decks, excluding mana sources. 
Well, we got a lot of feedback from last week's episode. We really we did. did. It was great. A lot of heated discussion. Yeah. Some of that uh, on the Manadrain. Um, but it, it all sort of got worked out in the end, I think. The question we asked was, what were the top five most... Auto-includes. Auto-includes. or in, Auto-includes in order of most in, uh, auto-inclusive to... Yeah. And we got a lot of ranked lists. Five. This was good. Yeah, we got a lot of, a lot of ranked lists. Um, Golem and Tanglewire. Actually, Tanglewire got the most votes. They appeared in the most uh, top five lists, although Golem had the most first place votes, which I don't think is terribly surprising. No, I don't. I consider Golem to be number one on the list, but it's, yeah, it's marginal. But it's very interesting how we talked about the Cat Stacks list performing well in top eights aren't having right. these Tanglewires. That's, that's incredible. Ex- that's exactly where I was going to go, is that Tanglewire got the most votes. He appeared in the list, but the, it's not in these, these Cat Stacks lists. Um, Chalice actually came in third place, which I don't think is surprising either. But I think what's interesting is that what this goes to show is that nothing is truly sacred in a workshop deck. I mean, one could make the argument that Chalice is number one. I mean, Chalice has the most synergy in the sense that a workshop deck is the most capable deck, or the deck capable of uh, most, of playing a Chalice at any of the relevant costs, right. zero, one, or two, two and gets the most value out of playing it from one of anything, since there's virtually no one-casting-cost spells in a mud deck, since you just skip that casting cost altogether. That's right. There's no other spell you can play out of your modern workshop deck that causes your opponent to just be cut off of so many So many, many cards in their deck, right. yeah. There's no other Chalice thing on this list. Chalice is such a remarkable card. All, just, all the other cards, the spheres and the golems and the tango are tempo plays. If the game yeah. goes longer... Those cards are diminished in value. I can't imagine playing a workshop deck without chalices. <laughs> the only thing that I can imagine is if you're playing like a five color deck, and you know Which we talked about last episode. But I mean, or even but but even that day and age, yeah. yeah, you play chalices. I I would actually consider putting chalice at the top, um, or trinosphere at the top. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked, but your deck had. Three Only three, I went out of a possible four, right? That was a very strange banned. metagame where people were really playing around it, you know? And, yeah. And but, for, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, it was 2000 and, help five. me out, Steve, 2005, where I won a Star City game, uh, double, double Power Nine up in Syracuse with a five-color stacks deck. When Trinisphere was unrestricted, I was only playing three of them. You had won the sideboard. I won the side, right? But three main deck, and which, as Steve said, it was you a response to the fact. You yeah, had it, had, it was a response to the fact that all the control, control slaver decks at the time had completely metagamed against Trinisphere. They were playing all these three casting cost cards, yeah. like Intuitions and Thirsts, and, thirst and, and I know, yeah, and Rack and Ruin was yeah. the big thing. So tr- your Trinisphere was just dead in, in some contexts, and so anyway. The point is, that was a very interesting time. The, the metagame really developed around Is Trinisphere. it possible to build a shop deck without Golem? <laughs> I, that's why, in my opinion, Golem's the number one on the list. I cannot conceive of a deck list, in even in a control deck that plays five colors and plays balance, I would still yeah. run Lodestone Golem. For a similar reason as Trinisphere, because you can get so many... It's just, also so good in the mirror. Just blow out wins with it. Yeah, and so good in the mirror, too. Yeah, it's really good. It, it's... In the mirror, where you would think, boy, that's just kind of like a juggernaut, isn't it? Well, but the problem is in the modern matchups, it trumps won. it trumps the smaller guys. It trumps Revoker almost completely. It's better than Slash Panther in the sense that it's bigger and it is easier to cast. And the only thing that really trumps it in the list we're seeing in cat stacks these days are the the precursor golems. And there's right. no there's no secret as to why that is. 
After Golem Wire and Chalice, a number of cards are tied. Two Sphere, Three Sphere, Metamorph, and, and Thorn are all tied with equal number of votes for fourth place. Thorn, I, I know that Thorn is probably, in many respects, he's more play than Two Sphere, but I think that's odd. They're stealing votes from each other, too. That's true. <laughs> it's I a think, very interesting distinction. And I'm really surprised people put Metamorph so high, but it's that good. I mean, it's it's good. It's very, very interesting. I have always, always, always had a strong aversion to duplicative effects in workshop decks. I never played with Sculpting Steel, except when you convinced me to. And I don't like the Revokers, I'm sorry, the Metamorphs, because I still find that they're a little bit unpredictable. You can't control your draws with a workshop deck. You can't control what you're going to get to copy. Within reason. You can choose amongst what you have in play, but strategically you don't get to choose. Strategically you can't say, I want this to be a lodestone golem if you haven't drawn one. Right. And a lot of people say, well, it's a good answer to Tinker. Yes, it's a good answer to Tinker when they drew Tinker and you drew Metamorph and you didn't play it first for some value reason which, unfortunately, is a smaller subset of the times when they have Tinker. And all that's true of Sculpting Steel as well. Yeah. Metamorph is better than Sculpting Steel for several reasons, and I like that. It's an improvement over that slot. But you're but not thrilled about I'm it. I'm not thrilled about playing it. You don't, it doesn't get you jazzed up? It doesn't. I think people will point to the times, well, it did what I wanted it to do in this game, but I've had a number of games where I lost because it was sitting in my hand and it was the only thing that could have been a guy. I wonder how many times it copies a Bob. That's very interesting, I wonder. But I I just think think about the scenario where you open your hand and you've got a a chalice and a thorn and a slash panther and a metamorph, and you're, like, really excited. You're like, this is going to be great. I'm going to slow them down, I'm going to panther them, and then I'm going to double panther them. You make that play, your opponent plays out some lands and mocks, and you announce metamorph and the ancient grudge or slash panther in response. And you look at your... What you've no, got in, in yeah. play, and you're just like, wow, I wish this was any other card right now. <laughs> it's just so many, it works out bad for you so many times, I can't stomach it very well. That's a I, fair point. I am very surprised to see how highly it ranked in our lists. People are putting a lot of stock in that card. So, I, I think we I think we pretty much exhausted it. the workshop thing. I think our podcast last week generated a lot of enthusiasm around Slash Panther. Which it really is, did. It's cool to see. And you can tell from our scenarios this week, it's still prominent in our minds. Right, right. <laughs> you just can't escape it. So, for next week's listener feedback, our closing question for this week is, what deck do you expect to win the Vintage Championship at Gen Con? What do you think is going to win Vintage Champs this year? Good question. We've given you a lot of possibilities, but as Steve pointed out, there's opportunities to come in there with something that's not on everyone's radar. Or something way out of left field or radical. So Send us an email, post on the Manadrain, reply to our Twitter. Here's your opportunity to play Nostradamus, and <laughs> we will give you all the credit in the world if you predict it. And don't forget to come say hi at Gen Con. Introduce yourself to Kevin or myself or both. And check out eternalcentral.com. That's eternal-central.com <laughs> for my legacy checklist and the Q2 metagame report. Thank you again for listening to Episode 5 of So Many in Plain Plays. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. Until next time, we wish you many insane plays. <laughs>